This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. Because he has so much to gain and has such a material motive. And today, we're going to circle back to a favorite topic of ours. I mean, it's something that comes up a lot. But we talk often about UFOs, right, Khalid? Yeah. We we talk about cults. And from time to time, we do talk... Uh, Sict. 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 Yeah. Le sict. Uh-huh. We... Um, yes. And most of the time, probably in an American or a British context and occasionally a Soviet context. But I don't know if we've ever talked yet about un contexte français. Yes, true. Or français. I don't actually speak French. No, I think it's français. Uh, Français, masculine. Yeah. Well, no, français. I don't know what the gender is, but I I think that it's pronounced Francais. I'm pretty sure about that. Masculine is pronounced Francais. Oh. Uh, feminine is pronounced Francaise. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, mm, according to the traditional it. gender, I'm not going to get into romance. Oh, okay, but, right. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Uh, 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 une personne féminine, whatever. I guess the French language is pronounced Francais, and that's just what I remember from, yeah. But today, but you know, anyway. we are going to take a, a little bit of a, a Gallic turn, and uh, we're going to look at a French UFO cult, the most famous French UFO cult. Yeah. Of all time, the mm-hmm. um, the Raelians, right, led by the channeler, well, as his followers would describe him, the fastest prophet in the world, yeah. the last mm-hmm. and fastest prophet in the world, Rael, mm-hmm. born Claude, Claude Voyon. Yeah, okay, we're going to have fun with this. Yeah, today. we're just going to um, be doing a lot of French things. Uh, désolé. We, yeah, désolé. Uh, quel désolé. dommage. Um, anyway, yeah. Bon so, Anyways, right. yeah, I, I think we, we've had Rael on the list for a very long time. I think we always knew we were going to, like, yeah, get to I mean, him I honestly, one day. Like, uh, I mean, you, yeah, you had kind of put the Raelians on the, our, our list. You know, I saw them come up in Messengers of Deception and like uh, Valet treats them like in a very short part uh, because, you know, they're both French. So I feel like, the, of course. you know, I, they came to my and attention. A little like, bit yeah, of, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, like a, also a little bit of a rivalry between the two, um, as we'll see later. They they've, yeah. uh, crossed paths multiple times and 
he's a whole interesting kind of character with like messengers of deception, but they really went in two separate directions in terms of their UFO beliefs. He was very uh, sort of uh, dismissive or skeptical of the Ray aliens uh, when he talked about the messengers of deception. But that was like when I really kind of like, uh, like in the course of doing the show, like that's when I sort of like uh, encountered the aliens before that, like really, and really in between, like having read that book for one of our Mothman episode, I think our Mothman episode or something like that. I hadn't really like thought too much about them. Like they really, I knew of them because of the clonade thing. Like I knew of them because of like yeah. the hubbub over cloning that happened when I was like, you know, 11 or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, I vaguely Dolly. remember the yeah Dolly the sheep and um, yeah, yeah all that all that kind of stuff. I was like I big got, into aliens like as a kid, you know, as I've mentioned before. So like and UFO stuff and paranormal generally. So I remember you know that they were in the news and everything and just being aware of them. And like yeah, I was into like Von Daniken and like stuff like that, uh, you know. So totally, which is kind yeah. of like ancient astronauts, kind of yeah, uh, hypothesis. Basically, yeah, yeah, they're just a, a a branch of that. Well, my interest was triggered because I went on a little uh, book buying excursion at Moe's Books in Berkeley. I think last fall, mm-hmm. and I bought like a is whole it? bunch of just I just like stacked up like a tower of sus books basically <laughs> from like their occult section mm-hmm. of which, you know, shout out to most books. Uh, if anybody is ever in Berkeley, it's still alive. It has just like for the type of stuff we cover on this show, it's like really just like the library of Alexandria. So of course I found in the occult uh, religion section, this book aliens adored Ryle's yeah. UFO religion by Susan J. Palmer, who I believe is a sociologist, right? From, yeah, uh, from Dawson College in Montreal, yeah. Quebec. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And she and really spent like a lot the, of years following yeah, like, Rael and his movement and studying them, right? She's like the preeminent scholar of Raelianism, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So we both read this. I think it's a good book overall. And it definitely yeah. has a kind of a sociologist, professional sort of uh, dispassionate remove from yeah. judging the Raelians and their belief yeah. system. They're and, you know, cl- classifying it as, a, as an NRM, a new religious movement, as is kind of the dominant uh, taxonomy, right. right? For yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for researchers to to look at all of these quote unquote cults, mostly that popped up in like the twentieth century, right? Yeah, like you can't real. I mean, you know, the distinction between a religion and cults is kind of fluid or uh, like arbitrary in some ways. And the thing about the Raelians, like they're not like a lot of the cults that we talk about in, on Subliminal Jihad because they're. I mean, they're a lot more benign. Like I find like a lot of their beliefs like repugnant, like intellectually and. And like incredibly sus on on that level and also like uh, incoherent in many ways and there's definitely like lots of insinuations against them and like rail himself does seem like a bit of like a, a perv is <laughs> something that's really driving him is like wanting to collect like beautiful women around him particularly like in the order of the angels which is like you know For we'll talk sure. about all their doctrine and everything but yeah that's not too different from like you know things that are just considered to be a matter of course in our culture, like with rock stars and everything, which, you know, I think is kind of what Rael himself always sort of wanted to be. So like, it's gross yeah. and despicable on that level, but it's not like, you know, heaven's gate or something like that. So, uh, you know, the sort of censure that you can, and like that type of abuse and manipulation and exploitation happens in 
other religions and other groups like you know that aren't even explicitly like of a religious character whatever you use whatever however you define religion so like oh for you sure know, uh yeah i understand like, well as why. as rael likes to point out you know people like to talk about his you know unconventional sexuality and and insinuate all kinds of things but uh his his biggest bugbear, the Catholic Church, um, kind of had its own problem, right? With yes, exactly. Child sexual abuse and covering yeah. it up. So it's not something that you know is just uh, native yeah. to "quote unquote" cults. But yeah, I mean, the the yeah. Rielian movement is definitely a more interesting kind of fringe case in terms of new agey UFO cults for for that reason that you said. Like, it's not. I kept looking for the shoe to drop of like okay, I spotted it here. This is a sus connection. They're like CIA or something like that. Or, yeah. you know, they're being controlled by some other groups or this is like some kind of French intelligence op to like, you know, manipulate people and stuff like that. But not to say that I'll never completely rule out such a possibility. For yeah, a, I mean, I still kind of, of think, you know, I just feel like the, the doctrine to me just like rings so many like alarm bells. Like it's the ultimate like blue beam religion. Like, it's all about kind how, of, yeah. like, we will become gods, like, God doesn't exist, like, you know, there's no soul, you're just, you know, a sloppy disc, and, like, we're gonna achieve godhood ourselves, like, all the things, all the ideas it's literally that I feel a like are religion. Toxic. Yeah, well, like, it is kind of a Gaia religion, but it's really more of, like, a anthropomorphic, or sort of anthropocentric, like, you know, religion of, of man, like, self worship like you know we're gonna ascend to be no, that's true the Elohim, very like, promethean you know yeah like i think that nature is kind of valued by them insofar as like the elohim created like all the plants and animals and things like after discovering the barren earth uh, as like a petri dish for like their science experiment but that doesn't really matter if we can achieve like true uh geneocracy and uh <laughs> you know the Le if we can achieve elohim status then we can create life willy-nilly so then it won't yeah really matter like what really matters is like the elohim like becoming like them you know it's basically like what any like silicon valley freak would want like eternal life exactly through perpetual cloning and like no accountability to anyone but like your own self like the See, elohim that for me like, is the yeah. susest thing about the raelian movement is yeah like, it's the it's ultimate blind like, technological optimism because i mean basically you know you kind of reference it there but one of the core things that sets the Raelian movement apart from like other, say, UFO cults or esoteric or new age groups is that they are militantly atheistic and materialistic. Yeah. They believe that there is no such thing as like actual woo woo kind of, uh, you know, there's no spirit world. There's no heaven or hell. There's no gods. Well, there are gods, but they're not gods. They're just more advanced humans. So it leans on the ancient astronaut theory, but like much more. I think militantly than even other people that have entertained the ancient astronaut theory. Like they still maybe leave room for some kind of, you know, parapsychological kind of interdimensional, you know, people like Jacques Vallée, for example, who definitely gravitated more towards a kind of like UFO or gin theory, like in the 1980s. And well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting because I think that right. Like he has kind of like a knee jerk scientism, like the line between like, you know, what Valet believes, like, and the whole idea of, like, the supernatural as a category uh, is a really unstable and, like, not very intellectually sustainable category. I mean, we talked about this before. Like, no, you know, sure. supernatural things happen. They're part of some kind of nature. Like, if something happens that, like, we would categorize as supernatural, 
there's some natural, like, you know, like part of the yeah. architecture of nature whereby such a thing would happen, you know, like it's totally. uh, not too, di- like, so. To I that like extent, I would kind of ride with Rael. Like, like, like I, I would kind of ride with Rael up to that point of saying, like, what what is this distinction anyways? Because yeah. he definitely but leans on that stuff that I think people Jacques would categorize feels as supernatural. the same way. And I think that. Yeah, and I think that I think that most of these people do. Like, I think that Vlavatsky is like the same, pretty much. Like, you know, it's only really. I think that Rael does like abide by that like thing in a way. Like, I think that he does sort of say like, oh, these other religions have supernatural ideas, when like religions don't really like have an idea of the supernatural. Maybe like there's an idea of the miraculous, but yeah. you know, like uh, as sort of a change in God's habit, you know, maybe or something like that. Uh, I mean, I guess it's true, especially particularly the Bible, uh, the Old and New Testament, when it just sort of describes, it doesn't describe the means by which a lot of these maybe so-called miraculous or supernatural things happen. It just says they happen. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, well, then, you know, the Elohim came down and they bred with the humans and they had giants. And then a snake showed up to Adam and Eve and was like, eat this apple. You know, and it just like it just tells you matter of factly, like this is what happened. It doesn't really say, well, by means of like a hologram machine, like a fake snake was, you know, like blue beamed Adam and Eve. Like Mm -hmm. there's no there's no explanation. It's just telling you what happened and kind of leaving out. Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, people obviously can read this, into that. Yeah, that's sort of the whole thing. But as I was reading a lot of this Raelian material, like the thing that I was like, you know, a lot of what the Elohim as, you know, uh, sort of translated or uh, rendered by Rael say is that like they couldn't, you know, like Rael is Jesus's brother, literally. Like there actually is an intelligent alien named Yahweh who uh, is yeah. like basically God. You know, I He's think the we father get of into- Moses and Muhammad and Buddha as well. Oh, I didn't realize that he was Muhammad's so. father. Uh, I thought that he was just Jesus' father. But anyway, um, so, yeah, that's a whole ridiculous episode, too. But regardless, like, the, yeah, you know, he's Jesus' brother and things like that. You know, there's actually a, a Yahweh. But he, like, yeah, that's the whole thing is that human beings weren't advanced enough to understand this. So they had to lie and make up, like, all the other religions. But... I don't buy that at all. Like, there's no reason why, like, you couldn't understand, like, the concept of Raelianism. Like, you couldn't make up maybe the concept of Raelianism. But if it was explained to you by aliens, there's no reason why someone from 500 BC couldn't grasp it. Like, you know, it's not that complicated. Like, they are, we are essentially the same humans. I mean, yeah, there's nothing ontologically stupider. I know that he, like, really is into, like, IQ tests, like, to determine who can vote and who can participate in society or whatever. Uh. But, you know, <laughs> theoretically, yeah, theoretically there was... I mean, all this is, like, so, like, oozing, like, eugenics, and it's just, like, really... Yeah. Gr- but, yeah, it reminds me of... Uh, what was that, uh, like, the Moon Princess, that sort of Japanese story? Like, it was made into a Studio Ghibli movie at one point. I think, like, a Miyazaki movie. Yeah, The Tale of the Bamboo Cutter which was, like, it was written by an unknown author in the uh, late 9th, early 10th century CE. Um, And basically, yeah, it's, like, just about, like, a girl who comes from the moon and, you know, then eventually, like, she's sort of raised by a human family and then she, you know, eventually goes back to the moon, uh, you know, just to give a short summary. But, like, the idea there's, like, people on another planet, like, another civilization there and, like, that are people like us, like, that is not too difficult to explain. There's also, like, the true history, that book, uh, or that story, or, uh, you know, a little uh, piece of writing by, by Lucian. You know, the idea of people living on their planets, like, it's not incomprehensible. Like, the idea of flying machines is not incomprehensible. So, like, if the idea that, like, we weren't advanced enough to get it, 
that is like a something to me it doesn't make any any sense at all yeah, even like, the bible talks about like flying chariots right yeah kind of uh like yeah. okay they can they can definitely conceptualize a chariot yeah. flying like a bird and if it okay. were yeah like. if it were clearly <laughs> explained like you know it's not like it wouldn't be something that one could understand if they came down i mean there's all sorts of things that like one could like take issue with like in this stuff but uh, people no, find for it sure. for whatever reason to be like very compelling i almost think this is well they do is this the most successful ufo religion like period like it might be i mean susan j palmer I think claims that when she talks about All the right. context of like other contactee prophets, uh, she says if, if success can be measured by the size of the congregation, the international Raelian movement is by far the most successful attempt to reconcile the scientific with the religious worldview. Their latest claim is 65,000 members. This movement is strikingly original and differs from other contemporary quote, flying saucer groups in several important respects. To appreciate its unique qualities, one must first locate its founder, Rael's early career within the history of ufology. So, yeah, basically, I mean, not all of them, I guess, were trying to reconcile the scientific with the religious. But that is something we talked about going back to our, like, Soviet parapsychology episode that a lot mm -hmm. of Soviet scientists were incredibly interested in doing. And, like, astronomers and people like that, they had the guys, I think, in... Um, in Georgia who were talking about how there was like an intelligent AI super civilization at the heart of the Milky Way galaxy. And that remember like cosmonaut Jesus Christ, you know, it had a lot of the ancient astronauts, like the planet, uh, planet Phaeton, which mm -hmm. is where the asteroid belt is now that blew itself up in a catastrophic thermonuclear war. And then the survivors came here and like trained the kind of cave people, you know, gave the cave people civilization. So like yeah. these ideas, um, a lot of, the groups and scientists and thinkers have kind of uh, played around with these concepts. But I do think Palmer's right that like that, that is maybe one of the main draws of Raelianism uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. is basically uh, the reconciling of the religious tradition, the, the conventional religious tradition. And since it mostly spread through Francophone countries, we're talking mostly about a, a Catholic religious tradition, but also with the kind of materialist, secular scientism of the 20th century. And Rael, he gives you a very clean, slick solution to that, I guess, where he basically says everything in the Bible, He, I mean, in a way, he does kind of credit the world's religions with having some grain of truth in them, but he basically recontextualizes kind of every story, particularly in the Christian tradition, but also kind of, you know, throws in... Yeah, every, basically every Abrahamic prophet and, and Buddha, also Buddha. And yeah, Buddhism comes up a lot. It's it's very like 70s UFO, UFO religion stuff. Like Scientology, I guess, is like uh, you know, similar clear parallel. But yeah. yeah, it's not as archetypal almost. Like I think that by virtue of like Claude Verillon being like a race car driver turned like race car journalist, like mm -hmm. ex-musician, and L. Ron Hubbard being a sci-fi writer... Scientology is like maybe a bit more creative, but it doesn't have like, I, I don't like the emphasis isn't necessarily on like what it is on in Raelianism, which is the, you know, sort of eventual re like, uh, I mean, uh, I would say that Raelianism is more biblical 
because the emphasis is on the idea of this sort of reunification or unity, achieving it with the Elohim, who basically, and the idea that the, like, the sort of uh, exegesis of the Bible usually mm. as like sort of, uh, you know, a gospel of the Elohim in some way. Yeah. Whereas I mean, even the, even the name, the Elohim itself comes yeah. from, I believe, Genesis, right? It comes from, yeah, the, throughout the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Yeah, Bible. so yeah. he, but at the same time, it's a little different from Scientology because where Scientology hides the kind of UFO stuff until you get to like OT something, you right. know, until you fork over a ton of money and that's another aspect of Scientology is that it's like very rapacious and is money yeah. grubbing in a way that, eh, I mean, the Raelians are kind of, they it's definitely much get more into that like later. Obviously like abusive. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. On the, you know, people and have, people have dug well. deeply into both people like loathe and uh, despise both groups, but people haven't been able to dig like, you know, to, to make uh, anything like what they've made stick to Scientology stick to the aliens. Like um, there's, there's, there's susness in both groups, but I do think sure. that Scientology yeah. is more overtly sinister and overtly and covertly sinister. And <laughs> yeah. Like uh, abusive well, and yeah, kind of the structure, well, we'll see like what happens in the future of alienism, you know, cause like True. it's sort of like the founder is like still alive and everything. And like, yeah, I think that like a lot of the structure like lends itself to that, but I think that maybe, yeah, the motives like are different in some way. You know, I think that fame, celebrity, and like wealth is like sort of the goal for I guess you know for both in a way but I don't know Scientology yeah maybe they're more fixated on the control in some respect where I don't know yeah I'm not sure what to account the the difference to per se but there is like a slight difference where yeah the the cultic aspects like that you would you know what you would associate with like a cult where you know there's obviously a charismatic leader that everything like devolves to with Rael but like the sort of and people who leave Raelianism like do report this whole thing where they have to like shun the people who left. But like those aspects, despite like being there and like I'm not down with Raelianism, like you know, uh, would say like avoid. But I think those aspects are much more pronounced than Scientology, especially what people yeah, have like uncovered and like all the exposés of Scientology. Oh, for like, sure, David like Miscavige, I, like shit like that. Yeah, I don't think they've basically have the equivalent of like a squirrel buster squad that like gang stalks you basically with like video cameras all day and yeah. like harasses you like systematically and all that shit. And uh, not as big of a footprint in Hollywood either, but they do have some heavy hitting members. It's like you know they they have some notable members. But we'll get to that later. But first, I mean, maybe we can just talk about the origins of yeah. uh, Rael's belief system and his revelation, because he is basically a UFO contactee, so he claims. Yeah. But before that, he you know this this came kind of out of left field for him. Because he was born, I think, was he born during World War II and had kind of an absentee father? I think his, his father was a French Jew who was like hiding out in the region where he grew up and had an affair with his mother, but then left to go back to his family when the war ended. So he didn't really have much of a relationship with his father growing up. I guess it was very like, kind of like conservative Catholic town. He ditched, I think, high school and went off to Paris uh, as a teenager and got a guitar and started playing, uh, started being kind of like a, you know, playing French chansons, I guess, mm-hmm. and became like, like yeah, I think he put out a couple records and like appeared on TV a few times. He wasn't like a star, but 
he had a little bit of a thing going and after a few years and then he got into race car driving which is like a huge lifelong passion of his and he kind of got into it by starting like a like a race car magazine called Autopop mm-hmm. and in the very early 70s and then also like used that to kind of get car companies to like loan him race cars and then start racing himself but then the 1973 OPEC oil crisis happened and i guess the french president at the time outlawed like street racing uh, competitions in france so at this time in 1973 he i think he was married at this point and had like some young kids and was kind of at a crossroads because like his whole industry i guess he failed to be a successful singer he had this magazine but then that got all fucked up when racing was kind of shut down and it is at this point in 1973 i think in december where he's wandering out in uh uh you know near where he lived and he purported uh to see a ufo land and an et get out let me just see if there's a pat like if susan Palmer. Uh, I think that we might even be able to like turn ourselves to the oh, uh, Le words livre of qui dit la vérité. Yeah, yeah the, the book that book tells, that the, tells truth. the truth. Yeah, I think we might be able to uh, turn to the the man himself. Uh, the primary he, source. Why not? Yeah, you know, he, let's hear what Ryle yeah, had to say. He writes that uh, ever since I was nine years old, I have had but one passion: motor racing. And much like Aquino, other people love cars. I guess that's a popular a uh, passion. Yeah. <laughs> I founded a specialist motorsport magazine in 1970 simply to be able to live in the environment of a sport where a man is constantly trying to surpass himself while striving to surpass others. Since my early childhood, I dreamed of one day being a racing car driver, following in the footsteps of someone as famous as Fangio. I, I've never heard of Fangio, but okay. Thanks to the contacts made through the magazine I founded, I was given the opportunity to race, and about 10 trophies now adorn my apartment as a result of those races. On the 13th of December, 1973, however, I went to a volcano overlooking Clermont-Ferrand in south-central France. I went more to get a breath of fresh air than to take a drive in my car. My legs were itching after a full year following the races from circuit to circuit, almost always living on four wheels, so to speak. The air was cool at the time, and the sky was rather gray with a background mist. I walked and jogged a little and left the path where my car was parked, aiming to reach the center of the crater called Peu de la Soleil, where I often went for picnics with my family in the summer. What a superb and breathtaking place it was to think that thousands of years ago, right where my feet were standing, lava had spurted out in incredibly high temperatures. Decorative volcano bombs can still be found among the debris. The stunted vegetation resembled that of Provence in France, but without sunshine. I was just about to leave and look for the last time toward the top of the circular mountain, which was formed by an accumulation of volcanic slag. It reminded me how many times I slid down those steep slopes as if I was on skis. Suddenly in the fog, I saw a red light flashing and a sort of helicopter was ascending towards me. A helicopter, however, makes a noise, but at that moment, I could hear absolutely nothing, not even the slightest whistle. A balloon, maybe? By now, the object was about 20 meters above the ground, and I could see it had a somewhat flattened shape. It was a flying saucer. I had always believed in their existence, but I had never dreamed I would actually see one. It measured some 7 meters in diameter, about 2.5 meters in height, was flat underneath and cone-shaped. On its underside, a very bright red light flashed, while the top, an intermittent white light, reminded me of a camera flash cube. This white light was so intense that I could not look at it without blinking. The object continued to descend without the slightest noise until it stopped and hovered motionless about 2 meters above the ground. 
I was petrified and remained absolutely still. I was unafraid, but rather filled with joy to be living such a great moment. I bitterly regretted not having brought my camera with me. <laughs> then the incredible happened. A trap door opened beneath the machine and a kind of stairway unfolded to the ground. I realized that some living being was about to appear, and I wondered what it was going to look like. First two feet appeared, then two legs, which reassured me a little, since apparently I was about to meet a man. In the event, what at first I took to be a child came down the stairway and walked straight towards me. I could then see this was certainly no child, even though the figure was about only four feet tall. His eyes were slightly almond-shaped, his hair was black and long, and he had a small black beard. I still had not moved, but he stopped about ten meters away from me. He wore some sort of green one-piece suit which covered his entire body, and although his head seemed to be exposed, I could see around it a strange sort of halo. It was not really a halo, but the air about his face shone slightly and shimmered. It looked like an invisible shield, like a bubble, so fine that you could barely see it. His skin was white with a slightly greenish tinge, a bit like someone with liver trouble. He smiled faintly. I thought it best to return his smile. I felt rather ill at ease. I smiled and bowed my head slightly in greeting. He answered with the same gesture, thinking that I had to find out if he could hear me. I asked, where do you come from? He answered in a strong, articulate voice that was slightly nasal, from very far away. Do you speak French? I inquired. I speak all the languages of the earth. Do you come from another planet? Yes, he replied. As he spoke, he moved closer and stopped about two meters from me. Is this the first time you have visited the earth? Oh, no. Have you been here often? Very often, to say the least. Why do you come here? Today, to talk to you. To me? Yes, to you, Claude Vorhelion, editor of a small motorsport magazine, married and father of two children. How do you know all that? We have been watching you for a long time. Why me? This is precisely what I want to tell you. Why did you come here on this cold winter morning? I don't know. I felt like walking in the fresh air. Do you come here often? In the summer, yes, but almost never in this season. So why did you come today? Had you planned this walk for a long time? No, I don't really know. When I woke up this morning, I suddenly had an urge to come here. You came here because I wanted to see you. Do you believe in telepathy? Yes, of course, it's something I've always been interested in, as well as the subject of flying saucers, but I never thought I'd see one myself. Well, I use telepathy to get you to come here because I have many things to tell you. Have you read the Bible? Yes, but why do you ask? Have you been reading it for a long time? No, as a matter of fact, I bought it only a few days ago. Why? I don't really know. Suddenly, I had an urge to read it. Again, I use telepathy to make you decide to buy it. I have chosen you for a very difficult mission, and I have many things to tell you. So come into my craft where we can talk more comfortably. I followed him, climbing up the small staircase beneath the machine, which on closer inspection looked more like a flattened bed with a full and bulging underside. Inside it, two seats faced one another, and the temperature was mild even though the door was still open. There was no lamp, but natural light emanated from everywhere. There were no instruments like those you find in an aircraft cockpit. The floor was made of a sparkling alloy, which was slightly bluish. The chairs were colorless and translucent, but very comfortable and made from one piece of material. I sat on the larger one that was set closer to the floor, so that face of the little man sitting in front of me was the same level as mine. He touched a spot in the wall, and the whole machine became transparent except for its top and bottom. It was like being in the open air, but the temperature was mild. He invited me to take off my coat, which I did, and he started to speak. You regret not having brought your camera so that you could have talked about our meeting with the whole world. With proof in your hands? Yes, of course. Listen to me carefully. You will tell human beings about this meeting, but you will tell them the truth about what they are and about what we are. Judging from their reactions, we will know if we can show ourselves freely and officially. Wait until you know everything before you start speaking publicly. Then you will be able to defend yourself properly against those people who will not believe you and will be able to bring them incontestable proof. 
you will write down everything I tell you and publish the writings as a book. But why did you choose me? I really like this part. For many reasons. First of all, we needed someone in a country where new ideas are welcomed and where it is possible to talk about such ideas openly. Democracy was born in France. And this country has a <laughs> reputation the world over for being the country of freedom. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, interesting take. Okay. Also, we need someone who is intelligent and quite open to everything. Above all, we needed someone who is a free thinker without being anti-religious. Because you were born of a Jewish father and a Catholic mother, we considered you to be an ideal link between two very important peoples in the history of the world. Okay. Besides, your activities do not in any way predispose you to making incredible revelations, and this will make your words all the more credible. Since you are not a scientist, you will not complicate things and will explain them simply. Not being a literary man, you won't compose elaborate sentences which are difficult to read for a great many people. Finally, we decided to choose someone who was born after the first atomic explosions in 1945, and you were born in 1946. We have in fact been following you since your birth, and even before. This is why we have chosen you. Do you have any other questions? So this is the kind of, okay, so I just want to point out that, you know, I got a little bit uh, triggered by uh, something that's in Susan Palmer's book, where uh, she has this little passage where she says, like, Contemporary prophets are often not awarded the benefit of the doubt granted to the great prophets of history. We don't ask impertinent questions about Muhammad's experience in the caves of Hira, where the Archangel Gabriel informed him that he was a messenger of Allah. Whereas 19th century historians attacked Muhammad as a charlatan, non-Muslims today would be reluctant to challenge the messenger Muslims call the seal of the prophets. First of all, non-Muslims today would not be reluctant to do that. You're talking about (laughs) people in your academic field who also, as you demonstrate, don't challenge aliens. But, you know, she she goes on to say, uh, you know, uh, his last sermon and his hadiths might even evoke a fleeting sense of awe and respect in the breasts of Western secular humanists who promote pluralism and tolerance. And yet Rael and his quote-unquote little green men are universally mocked. Why? Is it because a prophet's call must be shrouded in the mists of time before it can be awarded dignity? Is it because Muhammad has billions of followers to defend his name? No, the reason is because, like, he, she, the, uh, the Elohim give all these reasons, like, for, you know, democracy was born in France, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> the country's known all over as a country of freedom, you were born a Jewish father, a Catholic mother, and then after all that is like, oh yeah, by the way, you're, the son, you're my son. Like, I feel like that's the first thing at the gate, these are the reasons are irrelevant, like, you've been, like, culturally, you know, uh, but... Anyway, true. So, I mean, did they say? Did they? Does he say in that first? Meeting no, he that doesn't. You were the but he does say we have been following you since your birth and even before. Uh, this is why we have chosen you. Do you have any other questions? But like later on, you know, it becomes clear. I mean, that's Rael's current doctrine. It's funny they so. call him half Jewish because, well, I mean, I guess maybe if Yahweh is your father, you are half Jewish. But like, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Raised by maybe what they meant, given the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, so where do you come from? He asks, from a distant planet, which I will tell you nothing for fear that men of Earth might be unwise enough to disturb our peace. I don't know how they would, like, because they're obviously more advanced. But anyway, is your they planet very Elon. far away? Yeah. Very far, I, when I tell you the distance, you understand that it is impossible to reach it with your present level of scientific and technical knowledge. All right, whatever. What are you called? We are people like you. We live in a planet similar to Earth. How long does it take to come here? As long as it takes to think about it. Why do you come to Earth? To monitor and watch over the development of humanity. Human beings on Earth are the future. We are the past. Are there many people on your pl- planet? There are more people than on yours. I would like to visit your planet. Can I? No. First of all, you couldn't live there because the atmosphere is different from yours and you have not been trained for such a journey. Uh, But why meet here? 
because the crater of Volcano is an ideal place, away from irksome people. I shall leave you now. Come back tomorrow at the same time with the Bible and something to take notes with. Do not bring any metallic object and speak to no one of our conversation, otherwise we will never meet again. He handed me my coat, let me climb down the ladder, and waved his hand. The ladder folded up the d and the door closed without a sound. Still, without making the slightest murmur of any whistling sound, the craft rose gently to a height of 400 meters and disappeared into the mist. So that was his first. And then they kind of do like a book study. Uh, and a bunch of other stuff happens eventually where like he gets to see... Uh, they do kind of take him to their planet eventually, despite the well, fact eventually. that like, he but after he makes the it atmosphere. Public. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's so many little contradictions. Exactly. Like, you don't meeting. even have to, like, wor try really hard to find them. Like, for one, yeah. he's like, democracy was born in France. Like, even Jacques Vallée, I think, points this out in Messengers of Deception. You know, they're like, it's, like, but then they're actually anti-democracy. They think that people who aren't intelligent enough shouldn't be allowed to participate in elections. They're pro-geneocracy. Yeah, geneocracy, right. Are, and then also, I remember him saying later that like when he did go to the planet that the there was like an elite planet where like the best <laughs> of the best Elohim and the ascended like people from earth got to live forever and clone themselves and then there was like a small there was like a, a bigger planet where like normies like normie Elohim lived and I guess like they didn't get to clone themselves but the numbers he gave out was like oh on the elite planet there's like 8,500 elite Elohim and then on the big planet there some really small number it was like 50,000 like nor it almost sounded like the exact number of people in the Raelian movement <laughs> you know but it was um, like but then in the first one he says oh like how many people on your planet and he's like more that are on your planet yeah so how that's a little bit contradictory but yeah like they just like are all over the place like you don't even have to try like you know yeah. people spend so much time like pouring over older to try to find like you know uh for instance the the quran to try to point things out like but like you die with this like they're all over the place yeah but then, you know, so he has a series, uh, he claims, of kind of these sessions with the Elohim who is visiting yeah. him. And he writes down all these notes. And then he goes on a French talk show. Yeah. Right. And he gets like mocked. And he reveals. Yeah. He reveals his fantastic story and gets a ton of media attention. A lot of people do make fun of him and are like, who is this guy? But then he releases a book pretty quickly, um, which was... Uh, I'm forgetting the French. Uh, le livre qui yeah. dit... Uh, la vraie? Le uh, vrai. Uh, yeah, yeah, la vraie. I always thought it was But yeah, the book that tells the truth, which came out in 1974, is his first... That's yeah. what you just read from. That's his first account of all of this. And then he comes out not long after that. I think in 75, he comes out with the, I think, perfectly titled uh, Space Aliens <laughs> yeah, Took Me to Their definitely Planet. definitely a better and more precise <laughs> title than uh, his last one. So, yeah, then then he talks about how, like, later, I, I assume after his first public exposure of this and also saying that I have been designated as this prophet, yeah. right? They take him to his planet and... That is a whole, it's a huge part of Raelian lore. Also, he adopts the name, right? Like, yeah. after he goes public, he adopts right. the name Rael. And also adopts a symbol that he saw yes. on the UFO, which I think we, we have Yeah, we definitely should get to this, because um. this is really something that sticks out. Um, it is... It's a huge yes. pillar of Rael, Raelianism. It is basically, I mean, if you look at them up today, you'll see it. It is basically a Star of David like intertwined with a swastika in the yeah. middle of it 
And to be fair, it's like it's a it's not a tilted swastika. So blah. They they have a whole thing. I think they have a, a website called proswastika.com. <laughs> well, yeah, they participated in like day. some kind of like swastika rehabilitation rally. Like they this is like yeah. what is this is another amazing thing about the Elohim is that they for one, you know, they're kind of like it's complicated because like Elohim or Yahweh He's just, like, a dude who has, like, a character arc in a way. And he, like, at first isn't, like, really down with humanity. Uh, and actually Lucifer has to sort of convince him to value human beings. There's some real Eurantian yeah, stuff going on in the, in the yeah, creation. Yeah, there's some myth, weird basically. stuff. The, the alt but, yeah, myth. one thing that is consistent in, like, his sort of characterization uh, in terms of uh, vis-a-vis Yahweh in the, in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible, I should call it that, he, like, he considers Jews his chosen people. And th- part of Rael's yeah. main mission is that he wants to establish an embassy for the Elohim like in Jerusalem, like right near Masjid Al-Aqsa slash the Temple Mount or whatever, you know, that's a mm-hmm. big, like crucial thing that he has to do. Huge plank of, yet, the, of the movement. They yes. let him <laughs> choose for his symbol, like the most inflammatory possible thing, which is a star of David with a swastika yeah, exactly. inside of it. <laughs> like which like really was a problem for him because he tried to get the israeli government for years to like let him give him land or let him buy land to build this embassy and like it basically israeli society in general nobody wanted to fuck with him because he had this swastika so eventually he created like an alternate logo which is still he still uses the swastika to this day and a lot of followers wear the the big pendant but now it has kind of like a spiral in the center of the star of david instead of you know a uh which is still kind of a swastika i mean the the swastika in a way is like a spinning wheel right and if you put some jagged edges on it it would be a black sun but it's it's uh not as nazi related i mean it kind of so they use that in Israel. Exactly, yeah. They use that <laughs> under circumstances where, you know, they want to kind of, you know, play the uh, play the swastika thing closer to chess, but they haven't really let go of it. I mean, even if you look at the cover of the book that tells the truth, the original cover, it's, like, even more glaring, like, just a straight-up swastika. They kind of modified it so that it's, like, integrated with the Star of David design. So then that's, like, the more common one that they have, like, on their medallions and everything. So it's gone through a couple of transformations, but the Elohim mm-hmm. weren't, they've been watching humanity for all these years and they want him, they insist that, you know, it says they explain they do not choose to land openly and officially in any one country because that would involve violating our planetary airspace, both at national and international levels. Landing anywhere at all might also seem to imply approval of that particular country's government and philosophy and they do not approve of any existing nation on earth. Okay. They therefore need a diplomatic embassy of their own with the kind of extraterritorial rights enjoyed by any respected willing diplomat in a foreign state. Since their first embassy on Earth was Jerusalem's first temple, they have asked for their new modern embassy to be built as close as possible to the most ancient of all cities in the heart of Israel. Okay, so mission immediately failed to, like, avoid political (laughs) implications, but whatever. So, yeah, right? these Elohim yeah, suck. Yeah, okay, Elohim. Like, they're, you know, that's why people don't take this seriously. They're, they're sus, they're honestly. Sus. That's the other thing Palmer points out about uh, the Raelian movement is that it's one of the few kind of UFO cults that doesn't have any kind of mythology of evil aliens 
it's very Demi Lovato pilled of like they're all, they all love us. They're all here to help us ascend. Like there's yeah. nothing, you know, it's like it would be very at home on Gaia, but even Gaia dabbles in right. like the evil Draco. That's another and thing stuff that like sets that. This is like him apart kind of is that in a lot of these groups there really is like at least they're like it's much it's much more toned down than it is in some of these groups, you know, like the sort of persecution complex or the sort of like cabal globalist element. You know, like usually there's a group of evil yeah. beings who are like in league with the Draco or something's wrong with them. And like a, there's a big emphasis on them. Whereas with Rail, it's more like, you know, the media is being mean to me, like they're lying. You know, well, he does. He does have enemies, but they're very yeah. terrestrial compared to other right. groups. Like I think the biggest ideological and kind of, um, yeah, like theological enemy is the Catholic Church. But he also went on certain, particularly when the clone drama kicked up around like the Y2K era, he started going off on how like the CIA and French intelligence were going to oh, assassinate yeah, him right. and George Bush and Jacques Chirac mm-hmm. wanted him dead. And all that he gets into even some like PTK, like conspiracy theories about how like the CIA is going to use MK ultra right. schizophrenics I to like assassinate this. him. And so the Abraham project is what he called it. I looked it up. Like it's never been mentioned by anybody, but mm-hmm. Rael. And I guess some of the followers said like early on in the seventies and the eighties, he would talk a lot about uh, like he, he had a, a very kind of anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist kind of tinge to a lot of the things he was saying. But over time, some people said that, seemed to kind of drop off by the 90s and he got more kind of like motivational speaker-ish yeah and just kind of like new agey about everything and then started praising people like uh bill gates yes i remember you know i read uh, speeches. like the that guy who goes by like x rael yeah yeah X-Rail. He's, he's like the uh yeah one of those people which apparently is a thing where like they leave a religion and then their whole identity becomes about how they've left their religion which uh you know i guess is more justifiable with raelianism than uh you know the form of it that i'm most familiar with but yeah he was pointing out that he was originally kind of anti-capitalist but then he was like bill gates is a great man like he needs more money like you know we all need ferraris well, then, yeah, and then his followers started telling people for the first time to, like, donate money directly to Rael. So <laughs> yeah, and all the bishops. And yeah. other things, and, yeah, and all the bishops and stuff. The, the sus bishops, I mean, they're very, um, yeah, active in all of this. Yeah, another and, thing that guy was pissed off yeah, about so, was the Order of Angels itself, which is one of the most, like, just glaring, eye-rolling things about this, where, like, there's a c- sort of group of all women, they have to be women, uh, because men aren't feminine enough for the Elohim, and they're like basically going to be the consorts of the Elohim when they come, when they when they land, they're going to the be yeah. able to have sex with them, and like yeah. there's like you know a hierarchical structure, and the highest angels get to have sex with Rael for training, but when they get old, they get like phased out, and they become like trainers of the new angels. Yeah, and you're like yeah. well, they're well, sex here, positive, I'll, like. like <laughs> It's kind of like feminine. There's a know? lot about they sex. They do like topless. Mm, yeah, it's a very like feminine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pro go topless.com. Great. Is one yeah. Of their websites. They love doing that. But I'll just read a little more from Susan Palmer here. Page 35. Rael, the contactee, because it describes the formation of the, the first group that mm-hmm. he formed after the supposed revelation. Also, like generally, like what the Elohim kind of told him about 
their um <laughs> like they're like dr yakub uh, or yes. like yakub but good okay so this alien introduced himself as an aloha from a far-off planet he explained to Vorion that life is neither a divine creation nor the product of the evolutionary process that's also their anti-darwin oh, right yeah because humans aren't know. related to monkeys which is weird because the elohim no. did create all animals so whatever well anyway. <laughs> Anyways, we'll get to that later. Um, but the work of extraterrestrial scientists, uh, yeah, so life is neither a divine creation nor the product of the evolutionary process, but the work of extraterrestrial scientists who concocted plants and animals in a laboratory called Eden set up on Earth using stores of their own DNA they had brought with them to enliven a barren planet. The first Homo sapiens, Adam and Eve, were created from the aliens' own genetic material, thus, quote, in their own image. According to this extraterrestrial perspective, the book of Genesis is a ship's log recounting a scientific research project that sparked a bioethical debate on the Elohim's home planet. The creation of humans and the science lessons taught to Adam and Eve were surreptitious and illegal acts, resulting in the expulsion from Eden and the flood. Yahweh was the head scientist who created life on Earth, and Lucifer was the name of the Elohim's political party that decided to give humans awareness of their artificial origins, hence the ability and responsibility of humans in turn to clone human beings in Homo sapiens' image in the future. Satan was the leader of the faction back on the Elohim's planet who vetoed the plan to create artificial human life. So, you know, so we have Lucifer and Satan, not the same people. The Republicans and Democrats of the home planet are Satan and Lucifer. So the reason the Elohim chose our barren planet for their experiment is that Satan and his cohorts feared the consequences of carrying out biotechnological experiments on their home turf. The implications of this creation, quote, myth become fact, to use C.S. Lewis's phrase, is that we have reached a level of technological development that brings with it ethical dilemmas. The extraterrestrials have important moral lessons to teach us. We who live in the wake of Hiroshima and the dawn of cloning, they have been through it all on other planets many times before. Their calendar is like after Hiroshima, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, AH. Just like, yeah, yeah, so AH. th- that was the other thing. He, a big deal is that, like, I mean, like many other UFO groups and contactees and things like that, they all point to the detonation of the nuclear bombs in Japan in 1945 as almost like it's setting off an alarm bell in the in the Galactic Federation. And then that's why UFOs kind of started monitoring us because we were getting dangerous right. and all that jazz. So I feel that like even is what kind you of just read, we though, created, which I assume does come from some actual... Raelian doctrine like that contradicts what is in the new revelations of uh rail where he write about the devil does not exist i met him which is the name of it he does say lucifer and satan are different things but they are like individuals like lucifer yeah this says that lucifer is the name yeah lucifer is the name of the elohim's political party no they were part but of then factions. He, later he they does say factions but yeah they were people yeah they were people. They were individuals. Yeah. yeah, he does mention that later. So, okay, so he went on Le Grand Echiquier, the great chess master, which was uh, hosted by Jacques Chancel, who had heard of this manuscript that he had sent out. Basically had him on, and he became famous overnight, got thousands of letters. He appeared on Samedi Soir, Sunday evening, and like the public's response was so warm that Vorion was invited back on the show, and he demanded his, uh, he got anxious about his manuscript and sent a registered letter to the publisher demanding it, it be returned back to him. And then I guess the very last issue of Autopop, I think it's a typo. It says it came out in September 1964, but I think 
1974, and thenceforth Vorion became the Elohim's chosen prophet, Rael, and devoted himself entirely to their mission. He awards his wife credit for offering to leave her nursing job to assist him in the publication and distribution of, quote, that extraordinary document. But she herself, she herself recently told a journalist she had been unaware of his extraterrestrial encounters until the book came out. Interesting. So he gave his first lecture at the Salle de Pleyel in September 1974 and got a bigger hall in November. In Paris, he attracted a local group of followers and founded MADEC, M-A-D-E-C-H, Mouvement pour la Cure des Elohim, (laughs) Créateur de l'Humanité, the movement to welcome the Elohim, creators of humanity. And so they had their first meeting in December of 1974. It was a voluntary association with a president, treasurer, and a secretary who each signed a check for 10,000 francs toward the publication of Rael's first book. He adopted the title Rael, given to him by the Elohim as their chosen messenger. Um, In the first edition of the newsletter Apocalypse, uh, which would become the Raelian newsletter, was published in October 1974 and distributed to 300 members who paid their annual dues of 50 francs and wore medallions of the swastika inside the Star of (laughs) David. The symbol Rael beheld on the hull of the Iloha spaceship. It really is interesting that they would use the swastika as it's, it's Elohim, such a troll like after World War II. Like to put yeah. like <laughs> nothing could be more outrageous than to specifically put the swastika inside. Yeah, they were like in their flugel rods, you mm. know. Yeah, like what? Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Like to generally love to gaslight us. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, who's to say that these? Like the whole like, I mean, for one, another thing that the Elohim tell him is that the Elohim were themselves created by other beings in a similar manner. So why are we worshiping the Elohim? Well, for one, why would we even worship those beings? Because just because the Elohim aren't gods doesn't mean that there is no God. Like, it's kind of a false premise, but like... You know. It does beg the question, who created the first creator? It's, it's an infinite recursion. The same thing happens where, I don't know if you read like his doctrine that atoms are like planets, like that there's like subatomic universes basically that have like little people mm. just like us, you know, like living on them. And like it just gets small. Like and those movie, universes Osmosis have Jones. their own atoms. And it just goes infinitely down, which doesn't, you know, it's like infinite recursion. It's like turtles all the way down, you okay. know, like. Okay. Uh, so yeah. again, like uh, one wonders, like if you worship yeah. the Elohim, like that's, you know, you're not really worshiping your creator any more than like you would want to worship your own parents. Like or something, you know. True. It's like if you worship your parents as gods because yeah, they, like, they, they, they did literally create you, you yeah. but like that's fucked up. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, like, shirky. you know, it's shirky. Yeah. yeah. And um, like it's especially <laughs> shirky when the Elohim are just the same like you know as you like they are created by another like who created the creators of the elohim you know who created you know but his answer to that is just like oh it's infinite somehow or something like that i don't know which is like again against science it's like mayans bowing down to like jesuit missionaries as gods because they have some like fancier technology exactly like when these people doctrine that will save you are assholes in a way like the way that they're being described like astag farallah you know this is being imputed to like god in a way so like obviously would not say that of like the actual gods upon Watala, but like the elohim as portrayed by rael are just like arrogant sort of uh, short-sighted scientists. It sounds a little bit more like, like Yaldabaoth or something, like a demiurge. Yeah, like, like an Satan evil had blind demiurge that thinks it's a god. Yahweh to let human beings like progress 
in the Abrahamic tra- tradition or in Rael- in Raelianism, obviously. Like uh, I think it was Lucifer. Lucifer was the one that, or the Lucifer oh, party yeah, you're right, uh, was you're right. the one that was lobbying for it, and it was Satan was like the the hater who was like, That's yeah, bad. Satan like, wanted he's to. Just like a dumb right. religious Yahweh guy. was convinced by Satan to destroy all life on Earth, and then the Lucifer's was. group was supposed to return to their own planet and be forgiven. But when Lucifer's group learned that their fabulous creation is soon to be destroyed, they decide they cannot allow that. They still feel very strongly that among men there are some who are positive and nonviolent. But then that's when... They brought them all... They brought... The, the Ark was actually a spaceship yeah. where they got two of everybody and they put them on the spaceship and then they orbited the Earth while it was, like, bombarded with nuclear weapons yes, or exactly. something. And waited for the radiation to die down and then brought them back and then, you know the story of the Hebrew Bible kind of resumes. Um, yes. And, all and that then stuff. that's but when yes, the it's Elohim interesting. They have it both at ways that point in with time, like Satan. Yeah. The Elohim at that point in time decided that the, the was, well, they realized that they had been created in the same manner that they had created man scientifically in a laboratory by the people from another world. So they decided never again to destroy humanity and help Lucifer's group reimplant the life forms preserved in the quote unquote ark. Satan is still convinced okay. of the evil in man, but he bows before the majority of those who behind Yahweh think the contrary within the council of eternals. So yeah, like they're it, just it, like kind it, of yeah. making it up as they go along. Like why were we created just like for their amusement? Like this is also like some haywire Dr. Fauci, yeah. like DARPA project that was like being done under the table that they try to like kill all this, like the suspect, <laughs> they had to kill all the chimeras, you know, and cover it up. Yeah. Like we both but watched. But then some people went rogue. Yeah. We both watched a documentary, The Prophet and the Space Aliens, where at one point, uh, Rael is like, just ask yourself, uh, what if it's way true? You know, what if like, well, then I would just keep doing what I'm doing. I certainly wouldn't worship you. I would keep worshiping the real <laughs> God like and, you know, whatever the Elohim want to do, they can do. Yeah. A lot of funny stuff in that Vice documentary. We'll get to that later. Uh, but OK, so just going back to the formation, of everything, he formed this thing, Modic, which kind of was like the OG Raelian movement. And he started to basically kind of um, establish more like tight control. And I think there was like a series of purges where he basically, yeah, in in 75, he staged a purge of the leaders who wished to set up rules that hampered his creativity. Rael reminded them, it is I who received the mission, announced he was leaving to hold his own meeting in the cafe next door and walked out with a group of followers. So he also, in 1974, he led a group to the Clermont-Ferrand Mountains to meditate on the Rook Plot, a large flat slab of volcanic rock where he had met the Aloha. There, Rael showed them how to establish a telepathic link with the extraterrestrials, apparently with some success, for a message was received that Modek was entering a turbulent period where harsh criticism would be directed against their prophet, to whom they must remain loyal. So, I mean, he's going out there doing, like, Stephen Greer, you know... Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like uh, kind of meditation exercises to reach out and call, you know, the aliens and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So they predicted this. And sure enough, it did happen. And so he lo- he he sort of split off from the original group with, with some followers. And then on October 7th, 1976, he experienced his second visitation from the Elohim, which took the form of a marvelous journey to their home planet, reminiscent of Muhammad's night journey or the shaman's ascent to the spirit world. As he reports in his book, uh, Les extraterrestres m'ont emmené sur leur planète, extraterrestrials took me to their planet, 
He woke up at night and suddenly felt the impulse to leave his bed and walk through the woods of the Perigord region. As he stood in a clearing looking at the brilliant starlit night, the same aloha appeared to him and invited him aboard his spaceship to spend 24 hours on the planet of the Elohim. There, Rael was introduced to Elohim society, whose political system he admired and later described in La Géniocratie in 1977, Rael enjoyed the aliens' recreational facilities and describes his high-tech sensual experience, which consisted of making love to six female biological robots in a Roman bath all night. He was initiated into the secret of immortality, for he observed the cloning of his double in a vat. He was instructed in sensual meditation, a sensory awareness technique to activate psychic potential and grow new neural pathways, which he later laid out for his followers in his fifth book, La Meditation Sensuelle, in 1980 so he gets to go to the planet and has like this sex romp with these biological robot sex slave women who i think represent like the perfect ideal of all of the world's races yeah you know like there's There's a beautiful beautiful, asian woman a beautiful african woman a beautiful like brunette Mm -hmm. a, a scandinavian blonde like and they're all perfect and they explain to him that like basically these are all the races. There were a few other races. There was like purple and blue or whatever that died Didn't, out. Yeah, right. But basically, mm-hmm. very Urantia, yes, basically. Yeah, very Urantia, very race. Blavatsky. Yeah. Even though, um, yeah. And maybe maybe now is a good time to talk about before we go further about how, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but just the idea that like he doesn't claim, unlike most UFO kind of New Age groups of this era, he, he stays very far away from anything that is like part of the occult tradition or particularly from like Blavatsky who a lot of like the 20th century UFO people were very inspired by or you know Aleister Crowley for that matter mm-hmm. you know he doesn't basically uh openly kind of claim any kind of connection to them at all and doesn't seem to well, I think you can spot some similarities like like that with the races, how there were like these colored races and yeah, there was like indigo and they died influence. out. Yeah, actually they talk about here. This, this is just interesting for like context. It talks about uh, Susan Palmer talks about George Adamski, who I don't know if we've really yeah, we like, talked a lot him, about he was before. A big- a big contactee, big early contactee. Big guy, yeah. A Polish immigrant to the U.S. who became the prototype of the contemporary contactee after his extraordinary encounters in the California mountains and Arizona desert were recorded in two best-selling books in the early 1950s. He lived on Mount Palomar in California. And in 1946, he says he and his friends saw a gigantic spacecraft hovering in the sky, and he saw the silvery cigar-shaped uh, UFOs in 1952. Yeah, he wrote Inside the Spaceships in 53. And I think he, he also talked about being like brought on board some of these spaceships. He says he, he talked about how he cavorted with beautiful, playful aliens from Venus, Saturn, and Mars, and recounts his mm-hmm. long conversations with aliens, during which they impart their occult philosophy. At later writings, this is interesting, he claims to aboard an alien craft at a U.S. Air Force base for a voyage to Saturn to attend a conference. She says, before Adamski arrived on the scene, European and American contactees were well-versed in spiritualism and theosophy. They communicated with extraterrestrials through spiritualist seances or via solitary astral travel, now called, quote, ascension, during which their consciousness left the body to roam through astral realms and outer space. Telepathic conversations with aliens often transcended language barriers. Moreover, the extraterrestrials they encountered were invariably from our own solar system. 
By the time Adamski's influence was felt in the 60s, contactees had amassed an impressive body of ufological lore, and they integrated it with occult teachings that can be traced back to the early mystical mentors of the 19th century, Emanuel Swedenborg and Madame Helena Blavatsky, and later through the schismatic movements they inspired, spiritualism, theosophy, and Guy Ballard's The Great I Am. Right? Yeah, right. Got that I am going. So the post-Adamski contactees were swept up in the 50s resurgence of interest in hard science, particularly the, quote, magical machines of advanced ET technology. Flying saucers first entered the picture in 1947 when Kenneth Arnold, a pilot from Washington State, beheld an echelon formation of nine bright flashing UFOs over Mount Rainier. Uh, next, Adamski's books, Pioneers of Space and the Flying Saucers Have Landed, stimulated the public's interest in exotic alien hardware. In the 1950s, the UFO began to replace astral travel as the preferred vehicle for contactees. So the other thing, the second characteristic of post-Adamski contactees is that their alien visitors come from remote planets, no longer from our solar system. Mm -hmm. The third characteristic is that whereas 19th century contactees tended to predict amazing scientific developments and to extrapolate on technology in the future, by the 1950s, the contactees who emerged in the wake of Adamski were far more cautious about referring to popular scientific theories of the day, whether they commented on the nature of the physical universe or predicted cutting-edge scientific developments. Their aliens, quote, scientific statements were prudently less specific. Soon they avoided the hard sciences altogether, and the fringes of science became fashionable. Contactees of the 50s and 60s evinced a fascination for paranormal phenomena such as levitation, telekinesis, automatic writing, and dematerialization, and for quantum physics. Hmm. By the 60s, the leading contactees tended to confine their messages to theological, ethical, or environmental matters. Their primary task was to deliver alien messages and warnings about the interface between modern science and culture. The E.T.'s deepest preoccupations were with atomic war, pollution, and the fragmentation of the human family. These messages avoided scientifically precise statements with their potential for error and focused rather on religious concerns. They relayed the aliens' metaphysical reflections on humanity's problematic use of science and technology. They channeled extraterrestrials' advice on how to cope with nuclear weapons and the daily chaos of overcrowded urban life. Rael fits the mold of the post-Adamski contactee, at least during his early career. He evinces a deep fascination with alien machines and hardware, not surprising in a race car test driver. But Rael's aliens derive not from our solar system, but from a far-off planet in our galaxy. And Rael's aliens have a great deal to say about our penchant for war, our abuse of scientific knowledge, and the imperative to dissolve national and cultural boundaries so we can unite in one global community. Yes, one world government. Uh, That's another thing yeah, that he loves demands. the one world government. Yeah. Um, so in many ways, Rael's story of his contact experiences of the third kind, CE3, follows the narrative contours laid out by Adamski. First, he sights a flying saucer during a solitary walk in the wilderness, and a beautiful, gentle alien alights with warnings about humanity's abuse of nuclear weapons. Second, he is invited aboard the spaceship, where he receives philosophical instruction. Third, the aliens promise the advent of extraterrestrials in the future. Fourth, the aliens award him an alien artifact. Fifth, he writes a best-selling book and embarks on a series of lecture tours. Sixth, he is made a willing abductee and taken on a flight to a far-off planet. But there are striking differences between Adamski's career and Rael's. Adamski had a background in occult philosophy. He founded an occult society called the Royal Order of Tibet long before he saw a UFO. 
Rael has never dabbled in Oriental religion or Western occultism, parentheses, to my knowledge, and his intellectual mentors are the philosophers in the Enlightenment, such as Voltaire, Rousseau, and Foyer, the French Romantic poets, <laughs> and the French popular songwriter Jacques Brel. The two men's views on race diverge. Adomsky was accused of Nazi leanings because his aliens were always blonde. Rael, however, speaks of seven races of Elohim who provided the DNA for the four races of humankind. The purple, blue, and green races died out. Finally, Adomsky never established a viable religious organization during his life, only the informal Get Acquainted Club he started in 1957. He was elevated to profit posthumously by his followers who set up UFO cults based upon his teachings. Rael, on the other hand, claims religious authority over a large, international, highly organized congregation whose 65,000 members participate in monthly meetings, initiations, and meditation rituals. But the messages of these two contactees are quite compatible. The Adomsky Foundation's website promotes a philosophy, quote, pertinent to understanding that human life is the rule, not the exception, throughout the universe, and that humanity has the capacity to choose peace. The message Rael received from the Elohim is based on those two premises. Rael's philosophy is strikingly original compared to those of the other leading contactee prophets of our time. Rael completely ignores the teachings of Swedenborg and Blavatsky. These two were mystics, but Rael, by self-definition, is emphatically not a mystic. He, he adamantly rejects obscurantisme, occultisme, hmm. and mysticism. He, his declared mission, according to his statement at the time of the founding of the Raelian movement in 1975, is to demystify the world's religions. Ils devront s'acharner à demystifier les religions et à spiritualiser la science sans tomber dans le piège de l'ésotérisme et des sciences occultes et autres charlatanaries. <laughs> Sorry. One must strive to demystify religions and spiritualize science without falling into the trap of esotericism, the occult, or other types of charlatanism. So she says the other contactees who went on to become prophets and spiritual masters relied heavily on the ideas of Blavatsky and Swedenborg, ideas that filter through the schismatic and fissiparous New Age groups that sprouted from the rich compost of the 60s and 70s cultic milieu. During the 1970s, these ideas spread like spores as UFO religions began to poke their mushroom-like saucer-shaped heads out of the undergrowth of forgotten knowledge. So, you know, she goes on to talk about, like, contemporaneous kind of ufo cults mm. uh that some of which i hadn't heard of before there was the unarius academy of science um she obviously talks about heaven's gate which she says was heavily influenced by theosophy yeah it, that was a real fucked up situation where they were like mixing like apocalyptic christianity theosophy and like that one dude schizophrenia and like sexual angst or whatever into uh this uh folie a deux they mm -hmm. say. And then also, let's see, the Aquarian Concepts in Sedona, Arizona. Actually, I think we might have talked about this guy, the teachings of Gabriel, yeah. an Italian-American musician whose point of origin is another planet. Mm -hmm. He was the guy who has kind of like the the weird compound, like sex cult. Yes. In, um, that was in the Urantia episode. I think, I think. so, yeah. Yeah, exactly, um, with his cosmic family. And then <laughs> here's one I do know, the Aetherius Society, founded in 1955 by George King, an English yoga adept and trance medium, is also strongly influenced by Hindu, Hindu mysticism. I actually went with somebody kind of as a lark to the headquarters of the Aetherius Society in Hollywood like a few years ago because mm -hmm. they offer free like like energy therapy um, sessions for okay, people. Okay, how is that? 
It was interesting. It was interesting. It's like very, it's a very weird little compound that I never even knew was there, but it's like this kind of like Tatooine kind of these little bubble like houses and cottages and stuff with like this garden and they sell all kinds of old uh, kind of mimeographs of stuff from George King from like the 50s and the 60s. It was always like, like Jesus saves planet Venus or something like that. It was very, it was kind of a pre-Adomsky vibe in a certain type of way where they were all about like how Jesus was like a, an astronaut who like lives on Venus and there are aliens on Jupiter and Saturn. It was all contained within the solar system they don't seem to be very big but they're they're still chugging but you know so she's just saying like that you know there there were differences between a lot of the oh yeah ashtar command that's one that is kind of notorious mm-hmm. um which is relying on blavatsky and the i am concepts i mean even if you look at QAnon, remember like you know talked about like lisa clapier and yeah. stuff like going off down the i am rabbit hole and how i'm just waiting for the QAnon movement to like fully incorporate ufos i feel like they've I'm already started i've been seeing done. like walk-in stuff about trump around uh, i've been seeing that like oh walk is like a Palladian yes. walk-in yes, and he's yes. he's a white hat uh because he's actually a walk-in from the pleiades yeah, she Walker uh, uh, Palmer actually says that so uh, Rael Rael rejects the concept of walk-ins. Um, Ruth Montgomery's yeah. notion in Aliens Among Us that souls from other planets have come to Earth to take over human bodies, an idea later adopted by Heaven's Gate and in some New Age circles. So yeah. I actually didn't know that was having a resurgence. But they think Trump is like the, Trump inhabited and Putin by are a, walk-ins, but like yeah. they're they're possessed by white hats. Well, like they're white hats <laughs> in the sense of like they're good guys, but yeah, they're possessed by aliens. But Trump is different because he's like he's special. Like he's kind of like uh, his soul is like fused with like an angelic soul. But Putin is just like a straight up possessed walk in kind of. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. Yes. Um, so. Well, OK. Uh, <laughs> so it is it is seeping. It's it's happening. It I mean, seeping. the new age Q just all has been unfolding for a while. And like one of the like, you know, I guess you kind of mentioned this sort of uh, materialist or epiphenomenal emphasis in realism. But I feel like that kind of leads to the like susest aspect, like one of the susest aspects of this, which I think we, we kind of alluded to before, which is like the sort of idea the biological robots are like so like sex slaves uh yeah that's one thing but like also like that that kind of uh doves into the clone aspect like he talks about in uh you know the second encounter uh when he met the ancient prophets as as part of this sort of trip he uh, how can we forget he met he met jesus muhammad buddha and moses right yes at a dinner party yeah and there was some guy uh in the documentary um who said that he was a Raelian, like one of the first Raelian converts, but he left because he realized that that whole thing was like ripped off from a comic book that he had in his house or something. Yeah, yeah, right. that was like he and his wife were members two and three and they showed their membership cards and yeah, said it was very like an L. Ron Hubbard kind of thing of like reading something in like a sci-fi comic and then it popping up in his book. I mean, at the same time, not to defend Rael here, but I mean, it is sus, but I think that it's like the idea of you know, like yeah. Palmer said, with all these other UFO groups, it's not exactly, it's a pretty common concept yeah, with UFO sure. contactees I mean, that I was like taken to a planet. Like that basically happens in the Mirage too. 
you know? Yeah, to uh, me, that's not a smoking gun. That almost feels like Snopes tier of like, he had a comic book and like, that's why he lifted it directly from that. It's like, well, I mean, eh, he yeah, he could have lifted it from that. Uh, it could still be bullshit and he could have come up with it on his own. Like it, you know, I don't think it necessarily like, but it, it does. I mean, at the same time, it is a little bit uh, cartoonish to say the least. It's the whole <laughs> thing. Like, I think that maybe that was like sort of that person's way of expressing a general feeling about like the, thing itself you know which is yeah that it just kind of like doesn't ring to some people somehow it does ring like very compellingly true which is strange to me but you know it just is how it is and this is actually part of the part where yeah i'll just read this part anyway so he says uh the handsome bearded young man seated opposite me offered a smile full of fraternity my guide yahweh paused for a moment and said you are now sitting directly opposite the man who two thousand years ago was given the responsibility of creating a movement to spread more widely the message we had left originally to the people of israel a message which would enable you to be understood now i am referring to jesus whom we were able to recreate from a cell that we have preserved before his crucifixion the handsome bearded young man seated opposite offered me a smile full of fraternity. To his right is Moses, on his left Elijah, and to the left of Jesus sits the one remembered on earth by the name of Buddha. A little further on you can see Muhammad, and in whose writings I am called Allah. Uh, Sakirullah, Sakirullah. Um, so, yeah, like, obviously, Muhammad didn't actually write anything, so that's like a big gloss over. And like, for one, because he says, because out of respect, they do not call me by my name. The 40 men and women present at this meal are all representatives of the religions created after our contacts on earth. You know, he never really addresses the fact that the Quran is like the word of God, like that it's supposed to be his words and not like Muhammad's writings. But I guess that Verilion uh, uh, just doesn't know that. So he doesn't he probably like, doesn't deal know with that. it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah. they were all wow, nice. 40. Team. That's like that. That's got to be almost everybody. Zoroaster, like, you know, the whole, yeah. the whole gang's there, basically. I guess so. Yeah, uh, makes sense, uh, I suppose. Uh, the guide continued. Now I will show you some of our installations. I mean, they do say there were a lot of prophets, you know, uh, in different cultures and things. Uh, you know, in Islam, they, they do. So it makes sense. Sure. Uh, my guide continued. Now I will show you some of our installations. He stood up and I followed him. He invited me to put on a very wide belt bearing a huge buckle. He and his two friends had buckled on the same kind of adornment. Immediately, I felt myself being lifted up from the ground and carried about 20 meters above the grass, almost level with the tops of trees at a very great speed, maybe 100 kilometers per hour, maybe more, towards a precise location. My three companions were with me, Yahweh in front and his two friends behind. One curious thing among others was that I did not feel any wind at all whipping against my face. We landed in a small clearing quite close to the entrance of a small cave. We were, in fact, still being carried by our belts, but only a height of one meter above the ground, and moving more slowly. We passed through galleries of metallic walls and arrived in a vast hall, in the center of which was an enormous machine surrounded by about ten robots, recognizable by the ornaments on their foreheads. There we landed on the ground again and took off our belts. Yahweh then spoke. Here is the machine that makes biological robots. We are going to create one of them for you. He made me sign, uh, he made a sign to one of the robots. He made me sign, no. He made a sign to one of the robots located near the machine, and the robot touched certain parts of it. He then made a sign for me to move closer to a window, measuring about two meters by one meter. In a bluish liquid, I then saw the form of a human skeleton vaguely taking shape. Its form grew clearer and clearer, finally becoming a real skeleton. Then some nerves took shape and formed over the bones. Then some muscles and finally some skin and hair. A splendid athlete was now lying there in a position where moments earlier there had been nothing. Yahweh spoke again. 
Remember in the Old Testament the description in Ezekiel chapter 37, Son of man, can these bones live? There was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. The description that you will give of this will certainly be similar to Ezekiel's, apart from the noise, which we have been able to eliminate. Indeed, what I had seen corresponded perfectly to Ezekiel's description. I don't know, like, okay, anyway, so this guy, he was still immobile, but suddenly he opened his eyes, got up, came down the few steps that separated him from our level, and after exchanging a few words with another robot, came up to me and gave me his hand, which I shook, and I felt his soft skin and warm. Do you have a picture of a loved one with you? Yahweh asked. Yes, I answered. I have a picture of my mother in my wallet, which I left in my clothes. He showed it to me, asking if it was the right one. When I agreed that it was, he gave it to one of the robots who inserted it in the machine and touched parts of it. Through the window, I witnessed yet another creation of a living being. Then, as the skin started to cover the flesh, I realized what was happening. They were making an exact replica of my mother from the picture I had provided. Uh, Wait, what? Hold on. Yeah, like, again, like, yeah, science, capital S. Anyway, (laughs) indeed, a few moments later, I was able to kiss my mother, or rather the image of my mother, as she had been 10 years before, for the picture I provided had been taken about 10 years previously. So I feel like that's, like, fundamentally, like, really creepy to have, like, a dead, like, bio-robot of your mom. Like, what, what, anyway, whatever. Yahweh then said to me... Yeah, well, this is what happens next. Now allow us to make a small puncture in your forehead. One of the robots came towards me with the help of a small device similar to a syringe, pricked my forehead so lightly that I hardly felt it. This is, like, what they do, actually, when you die. They, like, kind of, like, trepan you a little bit uh, as part of, like, this transmission, like, today in the Raelian practices. Mm -hmm. Then uh, he inserted the syringe into the enormous machine and touched the other parts of it. Again, an entity was formed before my eyes. As the skin covered the flesh, it saw another me take shape, little by little. Indeed, the being that emerged from the machine was an exact replica of myself. As you can see, Yahweh told me, this one, uh, this other you is not wearing the small stone on his forehead, which is characteristic of the robots and that the replica of your mother also had. From a photo, we can also make a replica of the physical body, which in no psychological personality are almost none. Whereas from a sample cell like the one we took from you between your eyes, we can create a total replication of the individual whose cell we took, complete with the memory, personality, and character. We could now send the other you back to Earth, and people would not notice a thing. But we are going to destroy this replica immediately, for it is of no use to us. <laughs> At this moment, Ethical. there were two of you who were listening to me, and the personalities of these two beings are be- beginning to be different, because you know you are going to live, and he knows he is going to be destroyed. But that does not bother him, since he knows he is nothing but yourself. This is more proof, if proof is needed... Yet the not of the non-existence of the soul or purely spiritual entity unique to each body in which certain primitive people believe. So that's obviously extremely fucked up, like in many ways. And I feel like yeah. you would end up like in a, like in a Schwarzenegger, like six day situation yeah. where like the other Raya will be like, no, like, no, fuck yeah. you. Like I'm the real <laughs> no. one. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 No. 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 Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Another uh, side note is that there's another machine where Yahweh explains, and this machines are kept the cells of malevolent people who will be recreated to be judged when the time comes. They are cells from those on earth who preach violence, wickedness, aggressiveness, and obscuritanism. Despite having in their possession all the elements understand where they came from, these people did not have the sense to recognize the truth. They will be recreated to undergo the punishment they deserve after being judged by those whom they made to suffer or by their ancestors or descendants. <laughs> That's a funny so, concept, like cloning yeah. Hitler just to like torture, torture him to death him. or something, yeah, exactly. like make him... Okay, I mean, the, again, these like sus Elohim. I mean, it's kind like, of like hell, but at the same time, like you're just 
Elohim, like, don't you have a concept like that you created, you know, people like you don't have the right to like exercise. That is true. They're kind of like bio- control. They're like bioengineering hell in this conception. Yeah, kind exactly. Of, like, like it's, you know, this is the problem where this is the rabbit hole that like anthropomorphizing deities goes down because like you can't apply like our morality to the like God, you know, which is unlike anything creation. But these gods are exactly like us. So why did they have this moral authority over us? Like they're not down to the darkest aspects of us, basically. Of the, this, the worst part of like it's of all like reli- basically it's like the atheist critique of religion like come to life somehow. Like when they're always like God is not just really because there are tsunamis or something like that. Like you know, but in this case we kind of do have like a weird. Yeah, look at the body count where, like, in the Old Testament between like God kills like five hundred million. Yeah, people exactly. Satan Lives that like kill he anybody. created actually. Like you know, it's like the one monotheistic God that like has you know sovereignty over like all creation. Like it's not yeah. like the same. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not murder that people die of. It's not like God's not a murderer. People die of old age. Yeah. Uh like you know, it's like not the same like moral. Also, I'm uh, a little standard, I'm a little bit but... confused by his uh, his sort of explanation there that like the fact that his clone like knew he was going to be murdered basically like imminently uh, just was, part of a demonstration not... and he didn't care. Yeah, but he didn't care which proves that there's no soul. But like how does Yeah, that because prove the that other no one was exactly like him in personality in every way. So if there was a soul that was like unique to us, then they wouldn't be able to do that, I guess. But I guess maybe you could just clone a soul with certain like soul technology. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it, but it, it, is he saying that it's related to the fact that the guy was like, he said that their demeanor changed, which made it seem like they knew they were about to be killed. But he didn't say that like, he, it also sounded like he's suggesting that his clone was like at peace with the fact he was about to be murdered or something. Yes. I don't know. It's fucking or because that sounds like a very traumatic thing, like watching the clone of yourself being like dragged away to like the kill chamber. Like, no, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Like, what's happening? Yeah, exactly. You know, like I would be fucking traumatized if I saw that shit. And, like yeah. your mother, like a clone. I would hate the Elohim if they like kill exactly. murdered a clone of my mother in front of me. Like, I'd be like, well, who are these fucking sickos? Get me out of here. Yeah. They're not like the loving beings. It doesn't seem like. No, and then They're then like it gets sexual to beings. well. Then it gets to the other part where, like, now that we've shown you uh, that we can clone you and your mother, and then like discard them like trash and murder them, because um, I guess nobody has a soul. Uh, then they're like, well, let's show you how we live life here, you know, in Elohim's Elohim City. Uh, and they take him <laughs> to like this Roman bath and present him with these like six biological robot sex slaves that were presumably yeah. made by the same machine. And they're all so beautiful that he can't pick just one. So he retires to the bath with all of them and spends a night of uh, of uh, sexual pleasure uh, that I guess blows his mind and all this other stuff. Yeah, so it's like he went to bed and spent the most extravagant night of my life with my marvelous female companions. Like, doesn't this sound like totally like Jeffrey Epstein's like desires. ultimate fucking dream society? <laughs> yeah, right. Like it does. It does. It's like you could just be, like this sounds like 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 you said earlier, like a really so much of Raelian kind of a. Uh, 
myth sounds like or the story of this sounds like it would be exactly what like the scariest Silicon Valley like reptile billionaires would want to bring into existence like for our society. And it's kind of relevant because Raelianism kind of spends more time, especially in more recent decades, like trying to get humans to become Elohim rather than trying to get the Elohim to come here. Right. Yeah. Well, that's like part of the problem that a lot of like Raelian defectors have expressed or like, you know, ex Raelians or whatever you want to call them is that like, they have not like pursued the goal of the embassy aggressively enough, which is supposed to be like the main goal. They still haven't built it. I mean, they shot themselves in the the foot from the start by stipulating that it had to be in Israel and choosing the swastika as their symbol (laughs) inside the star of David. Seems almost by design. Possibly even more offensive than the swastika. (laughs) Like, you know, uh, it seems almost designed by design to slow walk it so that it could go on like forever. Cause then I don't know what happens when the embassy is done and everyone expects the Elohim to show up. Well then, you know, it's almost convenient that it's tangled up in politics and, having well, there's another everywhere. idea that like we're in like a race with an like two other planets to see which one like achieves like advancement first he loves the idea of being in a race doesn't he <laughs> yeah exactly you know, whether it's literally race. in a race or the race to clone the first baby or yeah. other things like that like he loves the idea of being the fastest prophet you know yes. like we have to get there first and he seems to have uh we'll, we'll get into it more when we talk more about the cloning stuff but he seems so kind of unbothered by any kind of the ethical hang-ups that people have over cloning and stuff and just like he trusts the elohim he trusts the plan basically that this is going to be awesome there's nothing really bad about it i mean just imagine like yeah i mean i'm sure that the elohim are like oh the slave class of clones like don't mind being slaves yeah, right? Like, like, oh, they love it. Now take them uh, off of the death chamber. Like, unreliable uh, Like, what was that swastika in your logo about again? <laughs> like, I mean, these sound like space Nazis a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, certainly eugenicists. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is like satanic. Like, they like, like perverted, like, uh, you know, the actual like religious scriptures of like, you know, the world's significant religions, uh, mostly like Christianity and Judaism, I have to say, with like a little touch of like Islam, which is, you know, like uh, the Quran is mentioned a couple times. Muhammad shows up. There's like some like uh, gestures to Buddhism, but like, yeah, they've basically, yeah, it's basically just like a subversion and like something that makes, I mean, I guess it's supposed to make them look good. Like the idea of like that they're aliens, is that like these Elohim are wise beings? But I feel like, to many like this portrayal of god as like uh you know a a, polyamorous uh, kinkster who does eugenics cloning yeah is offensive (laughs) (laughs) deeply insulting like yeah yeah uh you definitely could read it that way
vouliez qu'être aimé Et l'on vous a dit des prières Sans penser à ce qu'on disait Et l'on a même fait des guerres Faisant croire que vous les souhaitiez Maintenant que l'on peut comprendre Comment vous nous avez créés Il faut bâtir sans plus attendre La résidence demandée Comme l'ont dit les grands prophètes On pourra voir si l'on vous aime Venir au-dessus de nos têtes La nouvelle Getting to the period now where Rael is starting to build his movement internationally in the 70s and going into the 80s, he eventually he sets up operations in Quebec mm -hmm. that end up becoming almost like really his home base, especially after the 90s. And maybe we can bring up later because it's mentioned it's mentioned several times throughout Palmer's book that. In 1984, he disappeared for a year, right? Um, yeah, so they had a one-year disappearance. And that was like, yeah, uh, during that time, someone said that he was like with him and like expressed basically that he had made it up, his experiences. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Um, there were a lot of things said about that. I think it was Jean, was was Jean-Denis Saint-Cyr who said that, right? Saint-Cyr, mm. I don't know how to say it, uh, S -Y, uh, sorry, uh, C-Y-R. 
But uh, yeah, Jean Denis Sancerre, uh, he published a book about Ryle, yeah, about his confessions. The one thing that most people don't agree on is it was kind of his dark night of the soul moment, you know. That, right, that yeah. Palmer was like, most prophets experience a dark night of the soul. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, yeah, there's also conflicting accounts of what he said. One, the most interesting account to me that nobody really focuses on is when he said that he was, like, arrested by the French police and then held in prison for a while and then, like, taken to a hospital. And then other people said when he got out, he had changed. And right. he was much more of like a mercenary, like power hungry. Right. He lost kind of his like antenna, new age. Uh, his long mm-hmm. hair. <laughs> that he yeah, his long hair, right. which yeah. he then kind of put into a samurai man bun uh, mm-hmm. later when he started to go bald. But before all that happened, you know, he had really codified the movement into like a real religion. Um, Palmer says, you know, I guess in 1976, he, he dissolves Madek and appointed 12 guides Un peu comme les apôtres, uh, a little like the apostles. Um, and then so he okay. set in place a priesthood, an executive to be called the structure. He simultaneously established the Council of the Wise, a disciplinary council to handle errant members and control heretics. In the Raelian organizational pyramid, the broad base is composed of the loosely affiliated uh, Raelians, those who have acknowledged the Elohim as their creators through the transmission, a kind of baptism, and who make up the overwhelming majority. They are the semi-active or associate members who may or may not attend the monthly meetings, tithe, perform their daily meditation, and abide by the rules that govern diet, drugs, and sexual activity. More committed members join the structure, which comprises the peak of the organizational pyramid. They may be promoted up the structure's levels through voluntary work that furthers the two goals of the movement, spreading the message and building the embassy. The six levels are, from the base upward, assistant animator, animator, assistant guide, priest guide, bishop guide, and finally, the planetary guide, or guide of guides, Rael himself. The priest and bishop guides are empowered to transmit the cellular codes, that is, to, quote, baptize new members. The guides are empowered to re-elect Rael every seven years, a procedure explained to me as a vote of confidence, and thus far, Rael rules as the guide of guides. In 1998, there were 1,483 members of the international structure. Yeah. So then he added initiation rituals and meditation practice kind of, a, you know, onto this whole movement as well. And, you know, he claimed that Jesus had performed transmissions in his time, but they right. had been applied erroneously to infant baptisms in the Catholic Church. So that's, yeah, that is kind of like Rael's baptism. Mm-hmm. Um where, you know, you close your eyes and concentrate on establishing telepathic communication with the Elohim, et cetera. It's interesting how telepathy is is so prominent, but he he, he disregards all woo-woo. I guess it's It's just science. It's just science, exactly. Like, what science is is, like, completely ambiguous. Like, it doesn't, like, you know, you could say that, like, you know, uh, Tzawuf is a science, like, uh, you know, an ilm. Like, it's just... Anything could be, like, a science, you know? Like, I'm sure that, like, Adamski acolytes consider, like, astral projection to be, like, a science. Science is just a knowledge. So, like, you know, it's... The CIA yeah. sure did, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah, actually, this is kind of important. So, for the initiate, the baptism denotes formal recognition of the Elohim as, quote, our creators and promises, but does not guarantee the chance of physical resurrection (laughs) and the ultimate reward of eternal life based on the individual's service to humanity during his or her lifetime. 
This symbolic slash scientific action is based on the Elohim's teaching that individuals have a unique frequency pattern determined by their chromosomes, the genetic blueprint of their cells. The Elohim record every person's emissions from conception on to judge whether it is worth recreating that person on their own planet. The guide, through his or her connection to Rael, acts as a carrier for the transmission by picking up the initiate's frequency and transmitting it to the Elohim. So yeah, it, it picks up the vibrations of your genetic code yeah. and then is stored with the Elohim and then they, very much like the old god, uh, get to decide if you're worthy of eternal life or not when you die. But it's all just science. Right. It's all just science. Yeah, um, it's not. Yeah, and, and so uh, th- this is important because like this is basically a core tenet of like the Relian belief system that immortality is possible for those right. who are kind of righteous and committed enough. And they really do believe that, you know, if they take out, I guess what they do is they, like you said, they, they trepanate a little part of your skull, right? Where basically where their pineal gland is that classic mm-hmm. thing, uh, which contains all of your, like what, what religions might call your soul, you know, your memories, your personality, yeah. everything. And they store it in a kind of a cryo bank in Switzerland. And, you know, I guess there, there's been certain vagueness around, are they actually going, are they saving it to like give it to the Elohim when they arrive? But then Raelians have said, no, 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 the Elohim have such technology. I mean, you could stick a photograph in there and create, but I guess. But that wouldn't have know, the personality right. according to what Rael said. True. According to Rael. Uh, so know, it's maybe kind of confusing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of unless you want to create like a bio robot copy of yourself, which I guess yeah. is easier. But then other people said, well, no, it's so that when cloning on Earth uh, advances like, you know, far enough that then you can go and clone all of these dead aliens and bring them back to life with their memories and stuff. So it, it's almost like a really old school kind of Christian thing of like the the literal bodies will rise out of the grave on Judgment Day. Yeah. Right. Like, that's why you, you bury somebody in their Sunday best, so that when they resurrect, they'll be looking good. So it it's almost like a total, it's totally in sync yeah. with kind of the, I don't know, French Catholic tradition, you could say. In, yeah, in some, yeah, it's interesting. Because, in you know, in a way, like, there isn't really a distinction. It's the same thing where there isn't really, like, a firm distinction between, like, body and soul, like, in... Uh, and not to the extent that like 19th century spiritualism like would make it or that like certain esoteric currents like draw that sharp kind of distinction, even though they kind of still have like a body or a bodily or, or somatic kind of imagination. You know, the soul has a certain integration, like uh, the way that the heart, you know, the heart is like a, just a cone shaped piece of flesh, but it has some kind of imagistic or I don't know, like subtle relationship with, uh, you know, extra bodily things so they kind of like are an integration with each other but you know of course it's like this you know they're vulgar materialists you know like they well yeah are you want you, you want you want a little sampling of vulgar materialism how about this rael writes the quote the conservation of the frontal bone is a recognition of the elohim as being our creators even after death the cellular plan of each individual is registered in an enormous computer which records all our actions and at the end of his life the computer will know if he has the right to eternal life on the planet where the elohim accept into their midst only the most worthy of men and women. So what he's got like a a mega computer like orbiting the earth that <laughs> yeah. like you you get an algorithm decides whether or not you get a turtle. Wasn't there the, like that weird thing called like the infinity drive or whatever? Like the 
the Eternity Drive. It was like had like the genetic code of like Stephen Colbert and like stuff like that. Uh, that was like put on a satellite orbiting the Earth. Oh, um, I, I hadn't heard of that, but that's um, so that aliens could clone Stephen Colbert one day. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like so, Stephen Colbert could be uh, it's the lamest thing ever cloned. Ever yeah, it's like incredibly stupid. What was it called? I thought it was called like the Eternity Drive. Anyway, I'll find it. Well, yeah, I mean, they yeah, he does now and then, and this is oh, the Immortality 70s, Drive. Kind of, okay, whatever. Okay, immortality it's a large drive, memory device which was taken to the International Space Station in a Suyo spacecraft in two thousand eight. The Immortality Drive contains fully digitized DNA sequences from a select group of humans, such as physicist Stephen Hawking. Comedian and talk show host Stephen Colbert, Playboy model Joe Garcia, game designer Richard Garriott, fantasy authors Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman, pro wrestler Matt Morgan, and athlete Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Did uh, Epstein organize this shit? Uh, it sounds like an Epstein project. What the um, fuck? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was doing that for himself. He was storing a bunch of his own DNA and wanted to, like, seed the Earth with, like, clones of himself. Like, he was very interested in shit like this, like, around that time, like 2008 maybe yeah just getting out of jail okay but you know there there's another thing that i guess rael threw in as a part of the initiation process in 1979 he added the act of apostasy as an obligatory step in preparation for the transmission the act requires aspiring initiates to fill out a form letter renouncing their infant baptism and demanding that their names be struck off their former church's membership list they must sign the letter before the transmission of the cellular plan since the overwhelming majority of the 5,000 or so Rielians in Quebec were born into Catholic families, such letters almost invariably go to the Catholic yeah. Church. Uh, initiates are also advised, but not obliged, to drop a will, leaving their assets to the Raelian movement. Right. <laughs> yeah, so then, okay, so, yeah, you, you really have to renounce uh, being a Catholic. It's right. unacceptable. Um, they, the yeah. next... The loathing yeah. that is, like, their, their main, the main object of their, like, hatred is Catholics. They despise them. They really uh, don't like them. Yeah. Um, Which, in a, like, like a very yeah, French, enough, like, yeah, in a day, very uh, French, kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Like, they really feel, like, the agony of all those years of, like, French subjugation to having to be Catholic or, you know, yep, yeah. They're, they're over um, it. Um, mm-hmm. So another thing he introduced was an ecstatic technique, the sensual meditation, which he claimed was taught to him by the Elohim during his visit to their planet. Twelve Raelians were led through the first sensual meditation at the first stage de veil, the course of awakening, held in 1976. The meditation was a vital ingredient, especially for a religion that rejects the concept of God and the notion of an immortal soul, as it opened up an experimental dimension to Rael's congregation. The sensual meditation induces altered states of consciousness and encourages a sensitive connection between the body and nature, the ultimate aim being to achieve, quote, a cosmic orgasm, explained <laughs> to me by Gabriel Bluteau, a Raelian priest, in our interview at Dawson College in 1999, as, quote, the sensual experience of the unity between the self and the universe. So during the monthly meetings, members sit or lie on the floor in dim light as one of the guides speaks gently through the microphone and leads everyone through a relaxation exercise called harmonization avec l'infini, harmonization with the infinite, Mm -hmm. the first stage of sensual meditation. This begins with deep breathing and a kind of mental anatomical travel through parts of the body, arriving at the brain. Then through guided visualization, all imagine they are on the planet of the Elohim and in telepathic rapport with them. 
Many Raelians perform the sensual meditation daily with a half-hour cassette tape that involves sensual awareness techniques and a guided meditation into the infinity of space and time, envisioned as a kind of macrocosm within microcosm, deep inside the, quote, central nerve cell of the brain. So, mm. yeah, I guess, you know, uh, la meditation sensuelle is a very big deal. I mean, it yeah. kind of sounds like meditation that almost every group, including kind of like corporate HR, like mindfulness meditation things do today, which are quite secularized, right? Yeah. I mean, like minus the part where you basically reach out to the Elohim, but you know, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that <laughs> some right. people are carrying on that tradition, but you know, okay. So they, they tapped into that, um, kind of the, maybe the first to like utterly secularize, um, uh, like meditation practices. And also the other thing he added to his religion was a schedule of congregational gatherings, which added the social dimension. So, there's always like there, there's a meeting every month and oftentimes Rael would just like he would always burst in like by surprise to all these meetings. Like that's right. his normal way of showing up at meetings is never announcing beforehand when he's going to show up. So whenever he does, it's like very exciting. And he leads he whips out his guitar and plays songs and leads people in meditations. And it's very fun. So that like that's the other aspect of the Raelians that stands out to a lot of people is like. They kind of they like to vibe and party, even though Rael is very anti-alcohol, anti-drugs, mm-hmm. um, and he's and he's very anti. He's very pro-safe sex, but uh, beyond that, this was a very classic like New Age poly cult, basically, right? Yeah, the sexual mores of the Raelians um, definitely. Um, I mean, in some respects, I think especially from like academic researchers, they get a lot of credit for being, you know, very like inclusive of like LGBT members. Right. Yeah. And they've done and people like, a suffering lot of, from AIDS. Right. Yes. And they're uh, the, a big spotlight in there in the documentary by the Israeli filmmaker was their uh, like anti-female circumcision work, uh, uh, you know, at their like, pleasure clinics. Yeah. Clitorade. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting part of the documentary. Well, they, yeah, it was based in Burkina Faso, which yeah, is another exactly. francophone country where the Raelians have a fairly big presence. I mean, right. relative, like it's it's one of the bigger countries where they have a presence. And they were building this clinic, I think, in the 2010s to restore the uh, clitorises of women who had been subjected to uh, FGM. Yes. Right? Uh, and, FGM, you know, yeah, else, you know, or circum- female, yeah, unless we're gonna say uh, MGM for no, you're right, you're right, yeah, right, right. Like, sorry, I, I'm uh, just repeating. I mean, they, they, I did notice that they mentioned over and over again how much of a Muslim society they had, like, some is. imam, like, you know, say a bunch of evil Muslim things, and like, you know, which of course, even though like it's illegal. You know, and, like, it's not a, you know, like, widely practiced, like, you know, Islamic. Uh, it's not a, wide, uh, a widely observed Islamic practice, although some Muslims do practice it. But, yeah, it was basically characterized as evil Muslims in the documentary, you know, and they, like, uncritically reproduced, like, rails. Disc- like, you know, it was just, like, kind of, but... I don't know. I, mean, I get like triggered. A, I, I get triggered too because watching a bunch of white French people depend like and upon say Burkina that they're Faso. like fighting colonialism when like 
it's you done. killed Thomas Sankara, you motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, why don't you deal with that first? Why don't you deal with how you murdered Thomas Sankara with the CIA and plunge the country back into poverty and like a neo-colonial subjugation because you're also fucking French. Yeah. You couldn't let it go that it was it used to be Upper Volta. Like, none, none no talk about that whatsoever. It's just like we have to stop these Muslim, you know, these yeah, whatever, these like, sex negative you know, Muslims. I mean, whatever. It is like, like not a good it, practice, it, but I'm sure that like yeah. male circumcision like is also like very dangerous when not practiced with like, you know, proper. I mean, there was a case like in Brooklyn about that, like not too long ago, like when not practiced like in like a safe way, like it's, you know, mm-hmm. also like can be dangerous. And like, you know, I mean, I'm silly. I don't like support this, but like, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, a westernized like american person but like to say that it's not like you know that he's saving them from like french colonial religions by like going in and converting people to raelianism like <laughs> you know it's a uh, yeah i mean it's a well, nuance have, it's a it's a complex yeah. issue like it's a you know a fraught cultural thing like you know i think that it's a uh, problematic but it's a bit like more nuanced like than uh they led on you know it's like there's a good essay about it that's called, like, Whose Rights, Whose System of Values uh, that, you know, uh, is interesting to read about this. But just, like, you know, using this, like, to kind of, like, bolster, like, the Aurelian agenda, you know, as, like, a PR It really stunt. is. It's gross. Like, you know, and saying, Rather like, than you know, just oh, building, like, you've been colonized. Hospital. Like, I'm bringing my French UFO religion. Yeah, like, which is exactly, like, in the whole, like, thing. Like, it's, like, yeah, it's all about, like, pleasure clinic to... I mean, obviously, like, all religions do humanitarian work. And, like, regardless of what you think of the religion, like, the work can be good. But it's, like, still kind of, like, you know, the same way people say, like, all oh, these Catholic, you know, institutions are just designed to convert people. Like, that's a little bit, like, fucked up. Like, it's fucked up in that way, like, as well. And, like, the way that yeah. it was, like, oh, look what the great work Aurelians do. It's, like, okay, all right, thanks. Yeah. It's, yeah, and the thing where it's, like, oh, you know, they encourage us to, like, get back in touch with our traditional beliefs, you know? And I'm, like, what in what way? I, I have a feeling, I'm not <laughs> sure, but I have a feeling that he said that, like, you know, in the past, which probably has some truth to it, like, women didn't wear shirts in Africa. I feel like that's probably like the main <laughs> that might be pillar thing. of his advocation for traditional African religions. Like, well, you know. Rael makes a big show out of being anti-racist. And I've certainly compared to some UFO type people from the yeah, 20th century. He's not he, as racist. Yeah, he's not as, talking about, fl- well, I mean, he is talking about UFOs with swastikas on them. Yeah. <laughs> not literally. But Nazi they're good UFOs. swastikas. Yeah. And they're multicultural. Um, they're a diverse group of aliens. A diverse you know, group of sex so, robots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With uh-huh. who all unite to like make biological sex robots. Like, right. Well, I noticed that together. there's only Asian and white people like in his personal you know i don't want to no they're they're only by calling it a harem but his personal group they're burkina bay um angels and people even are there gold ribbon angels who are black yeah no i think i think there are are no there's definitely a few i mean one of the biggest ones who's interviewed in the vice documentary is dr phyllis hetty or Mm -hmm. hitty who is a has a phd from johns hopkins university and studied at Harvard and is like a serious scientist, but is actually one of the very rare second generation Raelians because Raelians also believe a little bit sus uh, that the earth is overpopulated and that people shouldn't have a lot of kids. Uh, no more than they, they probably shouldn't have kids at all, but if they do, they shouldn't have more than two. And they also, in kind of keeping with that, one of the unique things about the Raelian movement is that 
they're not really interested in sort of like explicitly indoctrinating. I don't mean that as a, sl- a slur word, but you know, in teaching the the young generation, bringing them up in the beliefs. Of it's weird Rhea. that that's the case because the teachings of rail, like you know, in fact. I was thinking that this is like kind of right material, like, you know, good thing uh, Christopher Rufo hasn't gotten his handle on some of this stuff because like, you know, <laughs> yeah, they do talk about overpopulation in the book, but they also talk about like how children should be brought up. And it includes like not some of the most uh, uh, flattering passages for uh, Rael uh, as these things go. Let me see if I can dig it up. I'm actually I'm on, I found myself on the overpopulation page uh, right now geniuses we didn't really talk about like geniocracy like properly yeah uh, i mean the geniocracy is pretty sus it's incredibly um, sus your world is paralyzed by profit and communism seems to fail to provide or sorry communism does fail to provide a carrot big enough to motivate people and encourage them to make progress uh huh. you are all born equal this is also written in the bible your government should ensure that people are born with approximately the same level of financial means it is unacceptable that children of low intelligence should live in luxury thanks to the fortunes amassed by their fathers while geniuses die of hunger and do any menial chore just to eat sensual education <laughs> sensual education yeah. is one of the most important things yet at the moment it scarcely exists at all yeah it even says beforehand you know like uh stuff like less you know sensual based stuff this is funny. The little creature who is still just the larva of a human being must, in its infancy, grow accustomed to representing the liberty and the tranquility of others. Since little children are too young to understand the, and reason, corporal punishment should be rigorously applied by the person bringing them up so that they suffer when they cause suffering or disturb others by showing a lack of respect. The corporal punishment should be applied only to very young children. And then, in keeping with the child's growing power to reason and understand, it should be phased out progressively and eventually stop altogether. From the age of seven, corporal punishment should be quite exceptional, and from the age of 14, it should never be applied. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess that kind of makes, Jesus. like, some kind of sense, but it's weird. It's like, you should hit only the young children, and then, like, you shouldn't have... I guess that's kind of the thesis behind all hitting of your children as, like, a disciplinary tool, but still, it's, like, pretty fucked up. It's you kind would, of fucked up, too, I mean, even with all the, the wild, like, monarch theories about, like, you have to trauma-based mind control them before yeah. they're, like, six years old to, like, Im- create, like... Um, you know, dissociative identity disorder or something. Yeah, like that uh, sounds uh, really uh, bad. Actually, right. Like you really will use bad corporal idea. punishment only when punishing a child for not respecting the freedom and tranquility of others or yourself. So yeah, if they're not uh, respecting <laughs> your tranquility, then you just hit them. Hit them. Uh, you will teach your child to blossom. You will teach mm. him or her always to have a questioning attitude towards those things which society and its schools want to inculcate. You will not force your child to learn things that are not useful, and you will let him or her follow any desired path because do not forget. The most important thing is his or her fulfillment. You will teach your child to always judge things in the right order with respect to infinity, with respect to our creators, with respect to society, respect to itself. You will not impose any religion on your child, but instead impartially teach him or her about the various beliefs that exist throughout the world, or at least the most important ones in chronological order. The Jewish religion, the Christian religion, and the Muslim religion. You will try to learn the major trends of thought in the Eastern religions, if you can, so that you are able to explain them to your child. Finally, you will explain to him or her the main points of the message given by the Elohim to the last of the prophets. So, you know, uh, but above all, you will teach your child to love the world in which it lives and through this world are creators. So it seems like he kind of like promotes that a little bit. I don't know like how much they emphasize it, but yeah, then he gets into uh, sensual education, which is, uh, you know, where you awaken the mind of your child, but you will also awaken his or her body. For the awakening of the body is linked to the awakening of the mind. All those who seek to numb the body are also numbing the mind. 
Our creators have given us senses so that we use them. The nose is meant for smelling, the eyes for seeing, the ears for hearing, the mouth for tasting, the fingers for touching. We must develop our senses. Essential individual is far more likely to be in harmony with infinity. Uh, blah, blah. To be sensual means to let your environment give you pleasure. Sexual education is very important as well, but it only teaches the technical functions and uses of the organs. Sensual education, on their hand, teaches us how to gain pleasure from our organs purely for pleasure's sake, without necessarily seeking to use them for the utilitarian purposes. Uh, to say nothing to your child, I mean, I don't know how old this child is at this point, but to say nothing of your child about the sexual organs is wrong, and although it is better to explain what they are for, this is still not enough. You must explain how they can gain pleasure from them. Um... <laughs> yeah i don't know if that's necessary like i could make like a middle road of like you know i feel like one can sort of figure that out like you know if you like but anyway whatever to explain only their function would be like telling that music is for marching to that knowing is to, knowing how to write is helpful only for penning letters of complaint or that movies are useful for giving audio visual courses or other such nonsense Fortunately, thanks to artists and through the awakening of our senses, we can obtain pleasure from listening, reading, or looking at works of art that were made for no other reason than to give pleasure. The same goes for the sexual organs. They are not just for satisfying our natural needs or for ensuring reproduction, but also for giving pleasure to others and ourselves. Thanks to science, we have finally emerged from the days when showing one's body was a quote-unquote sin and when sexual intercourse brought its own punishment, the conception of a child. What? I guess so. I mean, that, very, sexual, very pro-choice. Why is a child uh, a punishment? That is more, that's really pro-choice to say that having a child is a punishment for having sex. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I think he, he was very optimistic that, that, you know, we could now kind of uh, transcend, like, the negative aspects around sex. Like, I don't know, uh, having babies or whatever, because there's too many <laughs> yeah, people. babies. It's yeah. the 70s, and uh, suddenly everyone felt like there were just too many of us. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Palmer says about it that uh, although Raelian sexual ethics certainly promote promiscuity and experimentation, Raelians do have ethical guidelines regarding sexual activity. The first rule emphasizes respect and mutual consent in sexual behavior. The individual's right to choose and sexual diversity are upheld. Guides who attempt to force their ideas or unwelcome sexual attentions on others are excommunicated from excommunicated from the movement for seven years the time it takes to replace all their body cells uh, the second rule is to practice safe sex in july 1978 at the course of awakening camp near montreal a survey of participants to determine how to avoid the spread of stds led to the recommendation that henceforth participants should produce a medical certificate that attests to their freedom from contagious disease oh bio passports huh the use of condoms was made obligatory, and campers were given bleach and sponges to scrub the shower stalls before and after use. AIDS patients, however, are not excluded from the monthly gatherings, and the RM has on occasion held healing meditations for those afflicted with HIV. More recently, the RM has articulated a strong taboo against incest and sex with minors. See www.nopedo.com one hmm. of their websites. Right. This move is partly the result of a recent trend in the French media and anti-cult literature to label all gurus, <coughs> gurus of sects uh, as pedophiles. Part of the government uh, strategy... It's often true. Uh, I mean, he well, is yeah, like a 75-year-old yeah. man with like a 16-year-old wife, right? Like, you know, it's not... I mean, it's not oh, like... Yeah, it, you know, I, one, of his, one of his whatever, women... But. I think in the 90s was he met her when she was either 15 or 16 oh, and then married her at 16. Yeah. yeah. Purely for legal, uh, to avoid legal complications, even though he does not believe in the institution of marriage per se, very all about polyamory. Right. 
and stuff like that. So that was a thing that was like weird about them is like they were always having what people would describe as kind of like orgies, but they all believed in safe sex, which I guess probably maybe wasn't the worst idea in the 80s. And they were always open to very supportive of homosexuality. They had trans members and kind of like non-binary people, even the men. I think Palmer said her first impression of most of the, the Raelian men was that they were gay, but then she realized most of them were actually heterosexual. They just kind of adopted. A lot of them really embraced plastic surgery, which is another thing that like Raelians ended up yeah, really liking. Yeah, they love it, yeah. Yeah, they love plastic surgery. And so they, they'd have like, you know, like earrings and plastic surgery and kind of like spray on tans and like, you know, bleached hair and stuff like that and really be in touch with like their feminine side. But they would be straight hetero basically right. almost apologetically so sometimes she says which <laughs> kind of rings to like i don't know wider cult, like sectors of culture today where i feel like in certain spaces like a straight white man would be like i'm sorry like apologize for not being queer um, um yeah in a certain kind of vibe but you know so but the, she also she does mention throughout because i mean i definitely had my radar up for like weird yeah. sex shit in this kind of environment but she you know he's, the, the raelians always stress that i mean only, like you know, you know one in 65 one in fifty five thousand raelians has ever been convicted of any kind of like sexual molestation can compare that to the catholic church and it's like okay yeah but you know i don't know like well the catholic church also is like oh i guess that they're using proportions so i mean the catholic church is a much larger organization and has existed for a much longer period of time. Uh, I mean, I think they point to the fact that only like one person it's like ever has ever been, you know, actually uh, uh, charged with anything. I'm sure that I feel like in any organization of 55,000 people that preach a kind of like free love lifestyle that yeah. there probably were more than one. I mean, but, like, you know, as you we know. said, it's not like illegal and like these sort of uh, mores have definitely shifted over time. But I mean, you can't really... Like, in this day and age, like, maybe uh, if you were uh, a prophet at some earlier point, like, having uh, someone who is, like, you know, the age of, minim the minimum age of consent, but, like, now, like, people definitely find it to be uh, unusual for, like, a, you know, 70-something, like, year old man to be, like, cavorting around with, like, multiple teenagers or, yeah. like, really young. Like, you know, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's not, like, uh, legally actionable, but, I mean... It's not best PR, but I don't know. Like, no, it's not. But really, uh, I mean, he was one of many. Rajneesh did this shit. David Berg, Children of God. Like, it, it's something that almost everybody. Yeah, I don't doing blame the, the French media for like making that because you know, in these <clears throat> groups where you have like a guru who is mm -hmm. like you know seen as being the son of God, like in this case actually, or like a you know a very special person who's just like just like watch my silence, just watch me sit and be silent, you know, like. Or like the Bhagwan, uh, you know, they have, it's, there's a huge potential for like spiritual abuse in the same way that it happens in other, you know, more mainstream religions. Like it's, you know, uh, no, definitely. Yeah, or even definitely with like a, a rock, even with rock stars. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. they're all doing this. David shit in Bowie. The, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're all doing shit in the seventies, but, uh, oh, yeah. but getting back to, uh, La Geniarchatie, um, yeah. there's a summary here on 86. Um, so this is his ideal political system basically that he advocates for yeah. in 1977 Ryle published la Geniarchatie, which describes the system of government he observed while touring the planet of the elohim a meritocracy an oligarchy of scientific geniuses and creative artists chosen on the basis of intelligence test results to rule the planet 
The utopian dream of the Raelian religion in the 70s was to establish a, quote, geniocracy, a perfect society based on the rule of geniuses. This was more than a utopian fantasy. When Rael returned to Earth, it became an urgent political movement. The millenarian purpose was to prepare the Earth for the return of the extraterrestrials. Quote, you will also participate in the creation of a worldwide political party advocating humanitarianism and geniocracy, as they are described in the first message of the Elohim, and you will support its candidates. Only via geniocracy can humanity move forward into the golden age. There is no scientific or technical problem insurmountable for human genius as long as human genius is in command. If the Raelians could set up a world government of geniuses, uh-oh, then the danger of a nuclear holocaust would be averted. Quote, the faster you place geniocracy in power, the faster you will suppress the risk of cataclysm. For a being with a deficient brain can threaten worldwide peace. Um, just like Mango Mussolini. Yeah. In 1978, the Raelians held a press conference to announce their intention of creating a new political party, or the Mouvement pour la Géniocratie Mondiale, the Movement for Worldwide Geniocracy. They presented three candidates for the local French legislature, and in 1978, they managed to vote a Raelian, Marcel Terouze, on the city council in the town of Sarlat. While Rael was away in December 1977, police searched his house and seized his files in front of his wife and two children. Some of the top guides were also targeted. Police broke into and searched Jean Thierry's apartment in Paris, and Jean Guerry's apartment met a similar fate a week later. A number of guides were taken to police stations and held for questioning. It appears that the combination of a swastika symbol, which by error was printed backward on one of their posters, and a, quote, fascist political platform, as well as the usual concern regarding Le Sect, fueled the strong police control measures. So they thought they were just like a fascist Nazi party. Um, yeah. Uh, which, I, uh, Palmer's kind of getting on my nerves a little bit. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, she's like gone native. She's like, oh, oh, poor Ryle. Just because he had a swastika. They thought he was fascist. <laughs> like, a quote, you know, fascist and she didn't like war. really represent geniocracy, like prop, like, you know, quote unquote fascist. Okay. Let me like read from Ryle. I know that okay. in uh, ethnography, you know, it's practices that matter, not beliefs. But, you know, like, I feel like believing maybe is a practice. So let's see. Uh, yeah, all right. For sure. So just as a human body has a brain to make decisions, it is essential that society also have a government to make decisions. So you will do everything you can to set up a government that practices geniocracy, which puts intelligence in power. You also will participate in the creation of a worldwide political party advocating humanitarianism and geniocracy as they are described in the first part of the message of the Elohim. And you will support its candidates, you know, as you read, only via geniocracy can he move forward to the golden age. Total democracy is not good. A body in which all the cells command cannot survive. This is like Thomas Jefferson a little bit too. Only intelligent people should be permitted <laughs> to make decisions involving humanity. You will therefore refuse to vote unless a candidate advocating geniocracy and humanitarianism is standing for election. Neither universal suffrage nor public opinion polls are valid ways for governing the world. To govern is to foresee, not to follow the reactions of a sheep-like population among whom only a very small number are sufficiently awakened to guide humanity. Since there are very few awakened people, if we base decisions on universal suffrage or opinion polls, decisions become the choice of the majority, and therefore those who are not awakened. Such people respond in the interest of their immediate gratification or as a result of instinctive reactions that are unconsciously confined in a straitjacket of obscuritanist conditioning. 
Only genealogy, which is a selective democracy, is worthwhile. As was stated in the first part of the message of the Elohim, only people whose net level of intelligence is 50% above average should be eligible to stand for election, and only those whose net level of intelligence is 10% above average should be eligible to vote. Scientists are already developing techniques to measure net intelligence. Follow their advice and act in such a way that the most precious minerals of humanity, exceptionally gifted children, may receive an education at a level appropriate to their genius, since normal education is designed only for normal children of average intelligence. It is not the number of diplomas that one has obtained that signifies intelligence. Since this only calls upon the rather uninteresting faculty of memory, which machines can replace, intelligence in its raw state is the quality that can make peasants or workers much more intelligent than engineers and professors. This can be spoken of as common sense as well as creative genius, because most inventions are nothing more than a matter of common sense. Alright, I don't know about that, but... As already stated, to governance to foresee and all the great problems that humanity is now facing prove that past governments did not have foresight and were therefore incompetent governments. The problem does not lie when the with the people who govern, but rather the technique that is used to choose them. The problem is the way we select those who govern us. Basic democracy must be replaced by selective democracy. That is geneocracy, which puts intelligent people in power. This is the fundamental requirement. You know, the police will be essential for as long as society discover the medical means to eradicate violence and prevent criminals and those who indulge the freedom of others from acting out their antisocial impulses. What, like, mass lobotomy of criminals? I feel like th this sounds like something that, like, Peter Thiel would be feverishly dictating yeah. like Curtis Yarvin, who's, like, typing away like, this, <laughs> right, like, manifesto exactly. about, like, the, the feud, their new political party. <laughs> like, uh, the, the National Geneocracy Party. Yeah. It's extremely sus. I mean, it sounds like... Like, I mean, yeah, maybe it's not strictly... Like, I don't know if it deserves, like, quotation marks around fascist, like, per se. And she's like, right? and they abandoned it. Like, yeah, like, which kind of, they like, what were the Elohim it. upset that they he abandoned this thing that he... I mean, they haven't... They as really of 2022, they haven't actually abandoned it. It's still on their website. This You could still read, like, the book yeah, about exactly. geneocracy so, and everything. Yeah, uh, thank you for, like, whitewashing the Raelians, insulting the prophets, Salah Wasalam, and... Uh, no, you have to understand him and respect him because he was never mean to you. So, you know, they're just misunderstood. I know, I know. And uh, yeah, yeah I guess he eventually, all that matters. even though he, quote, abandoned the geneocracy movement, I, I guess it did have a big influence because the structure of the movement itself was modeled on the two class system that Rael said he observed during his visit to the Elohim's planet. This is where I noticed that the discrepancy in numbers. Rael describes it as a society composed, uh, comprised of 700 upper-class Elohim living on the planet of the Immortals and 8,400 Tarians on a lower-class planet. These Elohim are periodically recloned immortals who cannot reproduce but, quote, unite themselves freely as they wish without any form of jealousy. <laughs> on the lower-class planet, people are limited to two children per couple and must go before a review board to be judged for cloning privileges. Um... I don't want to live in that fucking world. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, like, wait, how did the numbers get so small all of a sudden? So we're talking about like 700 elite Elohim and 8,400 lower class. That's like almost nobody. What the fuck? Well, only like, some people have 50% above. Is there like another Elohim planet that has billions of people on it? And these are just like little special mini planets or something? I don't I have know. no idea. One of the like great things that the Elohim have is that they have like blood sports because you can create like endless clones so like you don't need they don't have war because they're able to get out their aggressive energies by having clones like murder each other in a coliseum this is like like donald marshall's like cloning center 
you know, uh, uh, yeah, whole exactly. Story. Yeah, like yeah, he says. You may participate in sports, for they are very good for your equilibrium. Particularly the sports that develop self-control. Society should also authorize violent, even very violent, sports. These are safety valves. An evolved and non-violent society must have violent games that maintain an image of violence, enabling young people who wish it to be violent with others who wish the same thing. This allows others to watch these violent exhibitions and so release aggressive energies. I feel like that's not the part I'm thinking of. Like, they mentioned, like, what they have, which is, like, actually, like, Donald Marshall's, like, clone arena. And that's why they don't have war. Yeah. Um, (laughs) They can get the thrill, like, uh, the Queen Elizabeth and, like, Hillary Clinton can, like, skin a Christian alive or something in the Coliseum. And then if they get run over by a chariot, they just regenerate immediately. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful utopia. I'd want to please take me there. Wow. Yes. Okay. Instead of the death penalty, they just like lobotomize criminals to get rid of their like the idea that like crime is a disease is like incredibly like absurd. Like, you know, what's considered criminal like really? Know, like, oh, so they adopt that kind of psychosurgery kind of. Yeah. Like that you don't it? need to. Oh, yeah. You God. can cure the disease of crime somehow. It seems like, you know, you, it's like a technology that we don't have yet that will like, it will enable us to. It's like Cobra, but an MRNA shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm the cure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the cure. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Fauci. He's Elohim is um, the cure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, the other thing, there's a funny section here that uh, is, you know, uh, I'll just read the, the subtitle. It's almost Gustavus Myers level good. Uh, bringing down the Vatican, dethroning the Pope. So <laughs> one still puzzling feature of the Raelian movement is its recurring anti-Catholic campaigns. These would appear on the surface to contradict Rael's message of universal tolerance and respecting differences of race, religion, culture, and so on. But the Raelian's anti-clerical, Pope bashing, Vatican closing crusades are in fact a necessary step towards realizing the Raelian's millenarian goal. Just as the conversion of the Jews and the return to Israel is a necessary precondition <laughs> of the second coming for Protestant evangelicals, so the demise of the Catholic Church is necessary before the Raelian's message can be established on a global scale and the embassy can be made ready for the advent of aliens. So his second book, Space Aliens Took Me to Their Planet, states, quote, The church has no reason to exist any longer, for it was entrusted with the spreading of Jesus' message in the expectation of the age of the apocalypse. This age has come, and the church has used means of diffusion which are shameful. The heralded signs are there, the unidentified flying objects. There will be signs in the skies. That has been written long ago. In a Dante-esque passage, clerics who wear the, quote, bloody clothes of the Catholic Church are told they will be, quote, reproached with all their crimes. The Pope has been sternly warned by the extraterrestrials. Quote, if the Pope does not sell all the properties of the Vatican <laughs> to help unfortunates, he will not be admitted among the righteous to the planet of the Eternals. These passages explain why the Raelians persist with their anti-Catholic campaigns. A Raelian invited to speak to my class startled my students by bursting out, The Pope is a criminal, a mass murderer. This <laughs> is actually a misquote of Rael's press release. The Pope's apologies are not enough, in which he accuses the Pope of, quote, 2,000 years of crimes against mankind and the support of slavery, torture, and hundreds of thousands of victims burned at the stake. Ryle suggests that the Vatican should be sued and forced to compensate the descendants of Huguenots and of Muslims in Jerusalem whose property was illegally seized and that the Vatican land be given back to the Italian people. I mean, uh, you know, uh, broken clocks. In 1986, 
Rail and his followers sat in a restaurant across from the Villa Pamphili Park, a few hundred meters from the Vatican. Rael began the evening by announcing that he was the true pope and, quote, not that usurper in the Vatican. The evening revels lasted until 2 a.m. and ended with Rael singing the hymn to the Elohim, accompanying hmm. himself on the guitar. Oh, the yeah, Catholic- his songs yeah. are great. Right, yeah. Yeah, though they are. I'm going to put them in the episode. Uh, The Catholic Church in Quebec has thus far received more than 5,000 letters proclaiming the act of apostasy by which former Catholics renounce their baptism and proclaim their new allegiance to Rael and the extraterrestrials. Anti-clerical jokes abound wherever Raelians congregate. During one soiree theatrical, Raelians performed a skit uh, starring John Paul II. The Pope arrives in paradise to find he is surrounded by a bevy of voluptuous naked biological robots <laughs> and encounters Yahweh sniffing the flowers created by Satan and strolling arm in arm with him, admiring Satan's creations. <laughs> on Oct- <laughs> Great. Uh, on Octo- in October 1994, Raelians entered St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and a guide began to perform the transmission of the cellular plan in front of a baptismal font. They brought their own water. Catholics complained to the Vatican guards, who politely escorted the group to the gates of Vatican City. The same week, Raelians presented the Pope with a copy of Rael's book, Le Livre. When newspapers later reported that the Pope had fallen in the bath and broken his ankle, the guides credited the accident to his shock at recognizing the truth of the Raelian message. (laughs) So, uh, in July 2001, Raelians attracted attention in northern Italy and Switzerland by distributing flyers in the streets that warned parents not to send their children to Catholic confession because, they claimed, more than 100 priests had been convicted of child molestation in France. The French Raelian movement was subsequently sued by libel by the vicar at Episcopal de Genova. The judge dismissed the charges since the Raelian attack had been aimed at convicted priests, not at the whole of the Catholic Church. The purpose of this action was to point out the double standard that applies to new and old religions. Two Raelian guides I interviewed in Paris said they were, quote, sick and tired of being branded as pedophiles in the French media. This was in the wake of the highly publicized trial of one Raelian out of 65,000 with a troubled history of pedophilia, as mentioned earlier. In a press release in 2000, the Raelian Religion for the Prevention of Pedophilia Through Sex Education, Rael had advanced, announced the founding of No Pedo, an organization dedicated to educating the public about the dangers of pedophilia. In October 2002, the Raelians resumed their anti-Catholic campaign by walking in an anti-clerical parade, carrying candles and handing out crosses to high school students and inviting them to assemble at the park besides Montreal's Mont-Royal and toss them into the bonfire. The youth were also given letters of apostasy to sign and send into the Catholic Church renouncing their baptisms. The Quebec Assembly of Bishops accused the Raelians of incitement to hatred. Several school boards tried to prohibit them from consorting with students. Uh, Raelian guides were dispatched to Rome to collect signatures in the street for their petitions to dissolve Vatican City and take back the land and the wealth of St. Peter's to be distributed among the Italian people. When I asked a Raelian why they were doing this, he replied, Don't you know? Rael's mission is to overthrow the Pope and give the Vatican lands, which the church stole, for there was never a vote, back to the Italian people. Rael continues to pit himself against the Pope. Quote, everything he is against, we are for. Contraception, homosexuality, divorce, all the values we espouse, he opposes. In January 2003, shortly after the cloned baby announcement, journalists who wished to interview Rael were told by his PR agent, Sylvie Chabot, that they must bow in his presence and address him as his holiness. <laughs> wow. So he really has an axe to grind with the Catholics, yeah. like big time, even though he's adopted so many things in structure and even to some extent in substance um, f- 
from the uh, the le catholic um you know tradition right also i think he mentioned at one point there was a raelian priest who was an ex jesuit uh he was an ex jesuit priest yeah. who defected to the raelians and he had a funny comment here uh that i just want to read real quick one raelian a former jesuit priest said the roman catholic church was quote racist and that the Vatican is known for a long time of the Elohim's existence, but is withholding this information oh. from their flock for fear it would cause a revolution. Huh. Wow. The same the same ex Jesuit hung around panic. with my Yeah, I know. Yeah. The same ex Jesuit hung around with my students after the transmission and kept them spellbound as he described with great gusto the details of his facelift, hair implant, and nose job surgeries. <laughs> Quote, the Catholic Church stole my youth, he declared, his hands stroking the shoulders of his oh pretty Raelian girlfriend. But thanks to science and to Rael, I've got it back again. So yeah. The, the, the Catholic Church knows, but he's found the true path now. Uh, just get uh, plastic surgery and get a hot young girlfriend and all right etc word yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay it's interesting um yeah he it i feel like he i mean it was interesting in that documentary where uh they found that guy who like knew him before he started raelianism and he a said fellow that race car nut yeah oh right yeah and he said something about how like you know he felt like down in his locker or, you know, he needed to find some kind of other profession. And he started being like, where do you think would be a good place to like see a UFO? It was like unclear. Like he did say that, you know, what he, it was unclear like what that guy thought, like whether, you know, he believed that rail believed it. Well, the um, filmmaker asks him what, so what do you think about it? And he's like, well, pff, like I could tell you what I think, but like I I could tell you that I don't believe it, but I wasn't there. And yeah, like Ryle can tell you that it did happen, but he doesn't have any proof. And so yeah. I don't know, but he did meant that is an interesting anecdote because you know, his wife said that he didn't even talk about the extraterrestrials at all until the book came out, which seems mm -hmm. strange and unlikely. Like, yeah. Like what was he doing for months? Like she think he was just like locked in his garage or something, but he's like on a typewriter who knows. But but then he says something that's very contradictory where it's like he was already really thinking a lot about it. And like he says in in, in Le Livre that, oh, he just was possessed one morning by like this strange urge yeah. to go out to this volcano and in right. the middle of no, December. I'm sure that that's not true and that he actually did have like some ex like knowledge of like even, you know, like esoteric stuff like uh, like I'm sure that he had some knowledge of like Blavatsky um and things like that like or at the like, very least know, he, was a kind of says pop ufo enthusiast yeah exactly and believed in it yeah yeah exactly and i don't know like i think i mean maybe if i want to be super generous to rael i could say that you know maybe and and to stephen greer like maybe stephen greer has a point that like if you go out there and you want if you call out to them maybe they'll show up but yeah at the same time like i mean because it seems like he was kind of trying to call out to some ets i mean then, sure uh i mean i'm just or, like even if this did like happen like the thing is like i like i just don't feel like i trust like the elohim as represented like to him like if those elohim like did appear to him and like told him like this and well, exactly like, it's like we yeah it's weird like i kind of uh I mean, the like, fundamental the fact that they're like, you must establish they a, like, embassy in Israel and didn't, like, think 
that it might cause a problem to have like a swastika <laughs> with the star of David as your like symbol. Thirty like, years after World War Two. Yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a little bit suspect, and uh, you know, I guess I mean you could go down a whole nother kind of like Whitley Strieber rabbit hole in terms of like alien abductions and like are these really aliens? Like what? what exactly are these experiences that so many people reported of being taken onto ships? I mean, his, his are unique in the sense that, well, <clears throat> they're different from kind of the Whitley Strooper one where I guess he's being kind of like tortured a lot. Right. And like experimented upon yeah, this one's like, definitely, you're, a, you're a prophet. Yeah. And I mean, that you. was kind of like that there was some kind of deception involved, like whether they were like simply human beings, like, or, uh, you know, it was actually some kind of alien intelligence. Like he, yeah, that was kind of like, I think we should talk about like his encounters with Jacques Vallée because Palmer like kind of portrays like Jacques Vallée as being like the charlatan and like the trickster, which is like that so is like, funny. give me a break. Like, I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I think Jacques Vallée is like sus in some ways. Like this whole thing with his like mysterious medals or things like that, you know, some of his weird collaborations. Like Jacques Vallée is sus, but so is Rael. Like, they're not, I mean, like, on. it's not like one is, like, a victim of the, uh, like, you know, or something <laughs> like that. It's just, like, it's not like one well, is this big, evil, Palmer, sinister UFO nut, and Rael is, just, like, a nice prophet. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Well, the, the best example of their beef is the the curious incident of the Teasdale inheritance. Yeah. Which she talks about. And, yeah, this one, this one's bizarre. She also, some, like, says that there was some kind of, like, the Baby Eve thing, like, might have been, yeah. like, set up by Jacques Follet. Yeah, like, it, what's the, like, all right, but we should, <laughs> okay. like, give it some play. Like, I don't know, you know, it's... Like, yeah, yeah, well, let's I mean, see. he is I mean, sus enough that, you know, it's not like we can't brook any anti-Valet statements. It's just, like, in context, it's like, all right, well, what about this fucking freak? Um, it, it's weird. Well, especially because she mentions that, oh, well, you know, Jacques Vallée had kind of like uh, he'd kind of migrated away from a more like mechanistic or like materialist explanation for UFOs and embraced this kind of more uh, liminal woo woo kind of. Category. Yeah, which is like not really like, you know, a, a, a good representation or like an accurate representation, I think, of. You know, he like it's the same thing as like Rael's belief in telepathy. It's like a bit unfair because, you know, what Jacques Vallée really thinks is that like there's some like, you know, would you say Carl Jung is like anti-science? Like he was a no, like not like, you know, again, it's like an uh, epistemological thing. Like science is like a very like arbitrarily defined category. But I don't like Jacques Vallée is like known actually for being like one of he's like the first person to publish like. You know, again, he's sus, but he's the first person to publish, like, a peer-reviewed UFO article, I think. Like, you know, that's actually about, mm-hmm. like, UFO materials or whatever. So in terms of, like, you know, these, like, sort of uh, establishment bona fides, which are meaningless, you know. But I, I just mm-hmm. think, like, it's a it's a bullshit misrepresentation, like, especially juxtaposed with Rael. Like, I don't think that, I mean, Jacques Vallée has many, like, sus ties. Like, the fact that he helped design ARPANET and shit like that, like, it's <laughs> well, incredibly yeah, sus. But, like, no, you we- know... Like, he has a sus her portrayal resume, of him is like as a sort of like shysty, like you know, woo woo, new age, like mystical he's not guy. Serious. But he's actually more of like an MIB from like the CIA, you know, like he's yeah, too yeah, serious. exactly. That's the problem, yeah. if anything, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, he's too deep in the game, if anything. Yeah. So okay, but yeah, they have this weird kind of uh, crossing of paths. The very strange incident that happens in 1988. So. 
Palmer writes, the only source of information uh, concerning the mystery of the Teasdale inheritance is Jacques Vallée's book, Revelations, Alien Contact and Human Deception, from 1991. Vallée, a famous ufologist and astrophysicist who was a student of J. Allen Hynek, draws our attention to this enigma in the history of ufology. Vallée claims that in March 1988, an advertisement in Nouvelle Observateur, a Parisian newspaper, announced that a British millionaire, recently deceased, had left his fortune to, quote, serious organizations that have as their goal the establishment or the maintenance of relationships with extraterrestrial beings. Ufologists were invited to send their resumes to the trustee's office of 3rd, 3rd, Smith and 3rd in London. That's T-H-E-A-R-D mm-hmm. three times. Jacques Vallée was intrigued and asked his friend, or correspondant, to respond to the ad, a year later, the correspondent received an invitation to an expensive restaurant near Notre Dame in Paris, where six representatives from the firm, in the presence of a group of lawyers, scientists, and a priest, interviewed three candidates for the inheritance. These candidates were Rael, Professor Rallin, a distinguished chemist from the University of Paris, and Valet's correspondent. Valet dismisses Rael as, quote, a notorious sect leader who has claimed contact with an extraterrestrial being and has gone on to organize a worldwide movement. Before dinner, a trustee read aloud a passage from Teasdale's diary in which he recounts two near-death experiences during World War I and a later uncanny event at Dunkirk where he felt a, quote, white and gold presence and heard a voice identifying itself as a sentinel for those who set life on the planet. On both occasions, the alien presence gave him a strange object and made him promise that he would pass it on to scientists to analyze. Teasdale confessed he had never fulfilled this promise. Then the company sat down to a magnificent meal, and after dinner, the commission withdrew to deliberate in private. They returned to announce that Rael had been chosen as the recipient of the Teasdale inheritance, since, quote, he presents the profile that is closest to the spirit of the testament. Rael was awarded a large laboratory cryogenic container that presumably held the alien artifact, and everyone left the restaurant. Valet's correspondent was soon contacted by a Raelian guide, Dominique Renaudin. He also spoke to Raulin, the chemist. Valley made some inquiries and discovered that there was no such firm as Third Third. The address on the stationery was erroneous. Moreover, his efforts to trace the late Mr. A.P. Teasdale, born in 1916, suggested that such a man had never existed. To this day, the motives behind what appears to be a hoax remain a mystery. Yeah, I want to, uh, like, just give a little bit of play to, like... Uh Jacques Vallée's like account of this because I had a feeling that it would like differ in some respects or just have like some uh like additional information again like you know you you decide like who you know who to believe like maybe the truth is somewhere in between but I feel like she you know she's kind of a bit uh, partial to the rail side of the story so uh Mm-hmm. You know, he in Messengers of Deception, he already kind of had singled out the Raelians as like possibly like a psyop in some way. You know, like uh, he compares them in this book, Revelations, to like the People's Temple, Jim Jones group. You know, he's saying okay. like they may have attracted the attention of social engineers motivated by the observation and the management of such belief systems. Eh, uh, possible. But anyway, mm-hmm. so, you know, I won't go through because like the actual like events of the uh, evening like are kind of similar to what you described, like not significantly different, but you know, I think that it's worth reading his uh, kind of like account of the what what follows. 
So after the exposition of the confession and the wishes of the late Mr. Teasdale, his attorneys gave the floor to the candidates. In turn, Mr. Raulin, my researcher friend, and Claude Vaurillon spoke for an hour, describing their backgrounds and qualifications. After these formal presentations, the commission deliberated in private. The candidates were soon recalled to the dining room when the formal verdict was announced. Our selection as recipient of the Teasdale inheritance is Claude Raël Vaurillon, said Mr. Bates, because he presents the profile close to the spirit of the testament. Vaurillon received a large laboratory cryogenic container measuring about 12 inches at the base and 15 inches high. The frost on its walls made it impossible to see the material. Presumably it contained the mysterious extraterrestrial talisman, and Teasdale's fortune would go to the sect. Uh, le sect. Three days later, the French researcher had a telephone conversation with Francois Raulin. Neither of them had heard from Vaurillon, in spite of the latter's assurances that he would turn over the specimen to them for analysis. It was not until March 16th that my correspondent was contacted by an associate of Vaurillon, a man named Dominique Renaudin. He was calling in a certain state of alarm. There was no news of the inheritance, no money, and no further conduct with the firm of Theard and Company. The French ufologist decided a little late that it was time to conduct a serious effort to get some answers from the English side. The first order of business was a visit to the offices of Theard, Theard, Smith and Third, whose address was clearly third, third, Smith and third, uh, 33, anyway, uh, yeah, whose address is clearly listed on their handsome stationery. Unfortunately, no telephone number could be found for the firm. The given address, 31 Sussex Mansions, is close to the French Institute in Kensington, but the number stop was 29. There is a Teasdale River in Durham County, but did a gentleman by the name of A.P. Teasdale ever exist? Quite a few people would very much like to know the answer to this question. They would also like to know why the attorneys for the alleged estate went all the way to Paris to find suitable candidates, while London is filled with groups during similar research. Why did they hand over the container to Vaurillon, who was clearly pre-selected, when the other candidates were in a better position to analyze the talisman to bring about the results to the attention uh, of qualified scientists, to bring them to the attention? Why the elaborate charade of a dinner for 15 people in a Paris restaurant? Why go through the motions of several formal presentations when it was plain that Raoul Vaurillon would receive the prize? What role were the other group members playing? It seems they were invited purely as fillers, as extras on the stage. The Teasdale inheritance is pure theater. The restaurant scene could have been dreamed up by John Foles, the master novelist who has described similar theater in The Magus, played out in pursuit of the esoteric pleasure of hidden masters. Who was it based something on the Magus? We had uh, Hotel that California. Yeah, oh, right, the yes. There is yep. an element of absurdity in this affair that is also reminiscent of the Umo business and the whole saucer crash controversy in the United States. It is for that reason I've developed it here. Who could possibly deny that there is a Teasdale inheritance? How could we claim that Teasdale's attorneys were not real? Half a dozen French scientists, engineers, a priest, and several researchers have met them and shared a meal with them. Furthermore, the talisman was in fact handed over to one of the three candidates, duly selected through a formal process. It is relevant that the Theridan Company never existed. Uh, is it relevant? Or that cryogenic containers were unknown in 1916? Uh, sorry. Uh, or that a wealthy Englishman could have easily paid any professional forensic analysis firm in England to take apart the talisman for the result to be simply published as expense for the edification of the whole world instead of resorting to this complicated charade? Your answer is as good as mine. The revelations of Teasdale's an extraterrestrial source, which claims to represent those who created life on Earth but is sadly running out of energy to communicate with us, are patently absurd. Again, is that relevant? Perhaps it's the very absurdity of these statements that contains the lesson. The absurdions of Uma and the collections of many abductees are absurd, too. The claims of Majestic 12 and the fascination with the hieroglyphs and hieroglyphics, he says, but it's not. Hieroglyphs and the Roswell crash or the gray aliens of Area 51 have no other source of power. The Teasdale inheritance is only the latest in a series of such manipulations. In June 1974, researchers in several British groups received cassettes from a mysterious organization calling itself the Aerial Phenomena Inquiry Network. Anyway, so he goes on to talk about 
other things, but yeah. Uh, that were like like uh, Mirage Men type. Yeah, kind of Mirage psyops. Men type thing. So that's kind of his read on it, that it was a Mirage Man type psyop to kind of build up Rael like in this context. That's his sort of. Yeah, and he yeah, sort and of yet gave I that, mean he didn't he didn't yeah. really get a lot of publicity from it though, right? Like there's uh, no news reports about the Teasdale inheritance. Uh, in contrast with like the Clonate era, where they became very adept at getting media coverage, even when they couldn't produce true proof um, of what they had done. So I found I found it interesting like message board website mysteriousbritain.co.uk <laughs> that's like one of the only places that was talking about this back in 2008 they quoted from Palmer's book um and talked about this and some person says Morrow says the Raelians have long been suspected of being more than they look. For example, in the early days of the sect, Vorion had access to very large sums of money. Nobody knows where the money came from. Vorion was impecunious, to say the least, at the time, and he had few followers, none of which could be described as affluent. When they announced of having succeeded in cloning the first human embryo, this piece of news was picked up by press agencies and media all over the world, from Aberdeen to Osaka. We're talking not about Sunday tabloids, but respectable and influential medias. It turned out to be unsubstantiated, to say the least, but Raelians had more than a few days of glory. Since every day some individual group makes a statement as bold and carrying as much shock value as the Raelians, and they are not deemed worthy of the slightest attention, we are left to wonder, how did they manage to get their story on every single newspaper? That the medias are easily manipulated, if not downright controlled, is no wonder at all. The problem is why this group of, quote, weirdos were deemed so worthy of much attention. Also, the choice of the three finalists, a very well-known contactee, a UFO researcher, and a respectable and open-minded academic, is suspicious to say the least. The presence of two witnesses, apparently picked at random, is also suspicious. Perhaps they were the final targets. Perhaps they were hidden observers. Perhaps they were simply hired extras put there to give the helping hand to make the whole thing even more incredible. The Teasdale Inheritance episode is very little known even inside the UFO community. It has never appeared on any mainstream media and is little known outside of French literature. The Raelians perhaps served as willing accomplices, but received no publicity at all. And Ian is right in pointing out why, and that's the problem with many cases involving UFOs. So it does not make any sense, yet it really happened. Hmm. So yeah, it's kind of like it didn't get them anything. And I don't know, a lot of people, well, have you know, I guess I'm sure uh, Valet would be like, maybe they were MIB themselves. Like maybe it was. Yeah. I mean, maybe the people there were being psyoped. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's a uh, it's mysterious. But uh, yeah, I did read one interesting article, you know, that like it kind of suggested this to me, even though like in a much less explicit way. I mean, this was just like, you know, not in insinuating any kind of like uh, psyop or any kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy or limited hangout type situation uh, with the, it was just it just uh, was basically about how it's called a public fiction as knowledge production. The case of the Ray Aliens cloning claims by uh, Mary C. Ingram Waters. It was in yeah. uh, just uh, like public understanding of science uh you know but uh, 18 uh, i think volume three or maybe volume 18 number three can't tell from the citation they have here but anyway yeah she basically was just talking about how the idea that they had cloned a baby like allowed people to discuss the repercussions of cloning and like kind of wrestle it out like in a sort of like science fictional manner like as like a thought experiment which like you know she was kind of exploring from just like a sort of uh 
you know, science communication angle. But it, it's interesting how like that, yeah, like it kind of was like a risk-free environment to like, yeah, in the same way that you could say like, oh, predictive programming or whatever, you know, it was like a risk-free environment for people to like sort of play out ha- the idea. Have a trial yeah. balloon of yeah, she what, writes, what would the uh, public reaction be if we announced that there was a clone baby and yes. they found out very quickly that it was pretty hostile and negative overall. Exactly. But then the fact that it's these crazy Raelians doing it and not serious scientists, you know, at all of our top universities, et cetera, I think we'll get into it more with like the mystery surrounding the class. I think there's a lot of layers to it and perhaps they did serve a purpose. Yeah, I saw here the the same person wrote, uh, Morrow wrote on that website that, uh, the case of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, whose founder has always been suspected, probably rightly, of having links with the CIA and NSA, has led some, including me, to suspect that Vorion may have been helped in his effort by one of France's many intelligence agencies, like the SCSSI and RG. You know, so one thing one thing he does point out that is kind of interesting is uh, Vorion, apart from money, has always enjoyed widespread media coverage. There are hundreds of persons wearing a flowing white gown, making claims every bit as wild as Vorion. So why just him? He also enjoyed some level of political protection. You may be familiar with the present psychedelic Raelian symbol, but originally it was a swastika inside of a Star of David. It was changed recently in a PR effort uh, to open a, a embassy in Israel. As you may well know, in most European countries, and France is one of them, displaying a swastika is considered a felony, to the point that even militaria collectors have to be careful when displaying their merchandise at a fair. Yet Vorion and his followers could always display openly their symbol without anybody objecting in the least. If you're asking yourself why an intelligence agency would waste its time on a UFO cult, remember that the Soviet government spent countless rubles in investigating telekinesis and ESB or simply type COINTELPRO in any search engine. <laughs> Damn, uh, Morrow's pretty woke for, you know, posting in 2008. Yeah. Good shit. But that is, you know, I, I mean, he rails against the French intelligence agencies, but it is kind of curious, right? Because I that thought crossed my mind when I went to proswastika.com that, it's literally illegal in most European countries to display a swastika. Now, I don't know if they had some loophole where because it's like not literally a Nazi swastika and it's not tilted that they could say it's yeah, different. Yeah, it's not in the same direction. I, I didn't really notice, but I feel yeah, like... Yeah, well, but that, that's what everyone always says. Like, you know, if you go to like Asia, you know, which is true, it's an ancient symbol. But normally if you go to Asia, like I think we saw it when we were in Mongolia years ago in some of the Buddhist yeah. monasteries, like mm-hmm. it would be, but it's like, it, it's 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 in the shape of a kind of square. Like it's, it's square yeah. shaped, well, the, whereas the Nazis yeah. tilted it right. so they that it's it. diamond shaped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And that, that kind of thing. So it, theirs is square, you okay. know, and it's like integrated. It bleeds into the Star of David. But nonetheless, like I think most Westerners see that and are like, whoa, hold up. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's interesting that they never got harassed that heavily for they didn't really seem to undergo any persecution it seemed to not slow down their stride until they tried to build an embassy in israel and that was well, one place I mean, where let's people remember, were like Whoa. uh that raya was born in vici <laughs> like you know so um, yeah uh, it during like what i had it been liberated yet when he, he was born um, in 46 I think so the that war was it over was like wow his father had been a safari jew then in hiding from the nazi authorities he was the illegitimate yeah. son of a 15 year old mother 
So oh, interesting. Yeah, I uh, guess. Uh, yeah, it hadn't quite been. Uh, he seems to. He does. I watched in one of his most recent uh, transmissions on YouTube. He started out by talking about how uh, the process of aging begins at age fifteen. And mm. like you are fully mature and <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, love it's us. Like, right. I don't think that's scientifically true, first of all. And second, like uh, 15, huh? Like, uh, yeah, but I don't know. It's a uh, it's very weird. Do you want to take one more break and then we'll get into clone aid? OK. Yeah. And like like this that whole good. fucking mysterious right. saga. Les assassins, les tuer, les 
justifié, mais un jour arrivera au crime. 